I didn't think of what a good opening for this would be, but it's just something spooky. I'm sure I'll come up with it. Uh, like, we have such sights to show you, oh, but it's yeah. a podcast, so you can't see anything. <laughs> we have such audio to for you to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> I had heard that quote before. Like, it was rattling around my yeah. brain. I was like, oh, that's uh, what that's from. Uh, <laughs> also, Jesus wept. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. For the very first time ever, I watched Hellraiser. What's your pleasure, Mr. Cotton? What is up, everybody? Welcome to Clear Tented Classics, the show where I, your host, Jake Ryan Baker, watch classic movies for the very first time and give my nostalgia for your opinions on them. Today's a very special episode. It's not only is Andrew Zerbick back on the show, which we always love having Andrew back on. Uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we, uh, we're, we've been okay. Like, I was really scrambling to try to get spooky episodes together for this month. I actually for once this i've been really scrambling all year to like make episodes in time for release i finally have built up a backlog of episodes that haven't come out yet because i've been shelving them in favor of putting the spooky episodes out this month even though i've got like four episodes recorded i think this is going to be what comes out wednesday because <laughs> like i want to put something october out for the month of october it just feels fun right um i'm really glad you saw my post about this is a big one this is like the horror movie that i hadn't gotten around to it feels like and it's really nice to i guess pop that cherry i guess <laughs> i don't know but that leads me to my first thing is like you messaged me saying like i'd like to do hellraiser and i hadn't really pegged you as someone that had even an opinion on this movie so so what's uh what's your history with this film uh yeah i don't know i saw uh hellraiser i guess one two and then three and four, I guess, you know, oh, long, so many, you... many years ago. Okay. Um, and I always uh, liked uh, the Hellraiser, like the concept and the, the aesthetic of it. Uh, like, just, it's just so sort of gothic and, and uh, mm -hmm. the movie is very sort of coherent in, in presenting a certain tone and an aesthetic. Yeah. And I always uh, liked that. I, I liked the sort of the the uh pinhead performance always yeah. i feel like he was the the uh i don't know i don't know the actor's name but he did a great job with you know there he really only has a few lines of dialogue in the whole movie but he does such a good job at delivering them and making them making the dialogue it's you know it, it you know you could argue it's a little stiff but he makes it sound good it's very arch right is this the yes. movie's very operatic in that way and and I think the performance that he gives fits so well into like what the movie is. It's interesting, right? Because something that I found very consistent with my, I didn't watch horror movies a lot growing up. Like I saw Chucky when I was a kid and it ruined me, which is funny. Cause like in retrospect, that's practically a horror comedy. 
film for that to be the movie that fucked me up. <laughs> it, it just shows you like how much of a weenie I was. Yeah. And then, and then like later in life, I went down a big rabbit hole, watched all the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, watched all the Friday the 13th movies, watched all the Halloween. I don't think I've seen all the Halloween movies, actually. I think I've seen like up to six or something like that. Uh, but consistently, every single one of these franchises, there's some, the same thing happens where the main monster, or as it were, becomes the figurehead of the franchise, right? And then you become so inundated in like pop culture, like Jason and Freddie and, and Michael Myers. And you're just like, you're like, yeah, these movies are all about them. And then you go, if, but if you've never seen what started the whole franchise, I'm just consistently shocked by the lack of them. Like, I mean, I think Friday the 13th is the biggest example of all. Jason's not fucking in the movie. <laughs> it's like spoilers for Friday the 13th. It's his mom. Right. Uh, and he doesn't get a hockey mask till the third movie. Uh, like, I mean, Freddie's very in Nightmare on Elm Street, so I'll give him that one. But I mean, and Michael Myers is obviously very present in Halloween, but it's funny to think like, like I had heard some, I'd heard rumblings of like, oh yeah, it's funny. Cause like Pinhead's not even as much in this movie as you would think. But when I think Hellraiser, I think Pinhead as someone that's never seen these movies before. Right. It's like Hellraiser. That's the, the monster's Pinhead. That's who we all know. And then you watch the movie, he's in like three scenes and he does seem to be the leader, but he really doesn't even get that much more spotlight than any of the other Cenobites. And yeah, he's the breakout star somehow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, he is the only one with the speaking part. True. Right? So. I, well, I think the, uh, the hook, the one with the hooks in their mouths. Uh, oh yeah. I guess she does have a line or two. Yeah. They, they speak a few times. Because uh, cause I was like trying to figure out, I was like, what's going on with this person? Because their voice seemed really crazy. Like at times it would be really deep, but then it would seem a little high pitched, especially. I think they scream maybe a couple times. Like obviously the chatterer guy doesn't really talk. And then the weird guy with mouths for eyes, he's not very talkative. Uh, I will say uh, Doug Bradley is the guy that plays Pinhead, which is a name that sounds really familiar to me, but I pull up his thing and it's just all Hellraiser movies. <laughs> it's like just nothing but Hellraiser. I guess they made a lot of them. Less I just looking today, like I've, I've kind of, I know they did like, uh, like four of them. And then I think things went really sharply downhill <laughs> after that. And I'm sort of aware of four more. And then today I was kind of, you know, poking around the internet a little bit. And I guess they made like two, even after like those other four. <laughs> well, my, my interest got re-peaked because they did that remake. Right. And, from what I heard, it's not bad. And I almost wish I had made time to watch it just so I could have like an opinion on it. Um, because like all the rumblings I heard about it were actually, it was pretty good. Like, and the guy that directed is like a good director. Um, it looked very like the trailer made it look so cinematic. It was very funny. Cause I gotta say like, other than like knowing the Cenobites existed, I had fucking nothing going into this movie. This was like a, a really true blue like blind going into the movie like for long chunks i was like oh is like our protagonist just gonna be this older married couple that's pretty wild for like a slasher horror movie type thing like you don't really see that it's always like young younger like 
old older teenagers are like in their 20s and then and then kirstie shows up and i was like oh there it is uh it's like but even then it's still like just she her. doesn't have anything to do for <laughs> no, like two-thirds really. of the movie though <laughs> um but i want to i want to circle back you said something that i thought was interesting is you not only you said like oh yeah like the first hellraiser but you like had seen like the first four back in the day and uh because like yeah because i yeah. genuinely am like i'm aware that they immediately made sequels because i uh but i i i couldn't couldn't tell you like what they could possibly be about it seems to me like the person that pay, plays frank and the person that plays kirsty seem to be in those as well so maybe kirsty's story continues or something like i don't know i assume it's just all people finding the box and pinhead just fucks with people like <laughs> I, I don't know i, I have no clue <laughs> it's been a very long time since i've seen any of them I, the only other one that i've seen in the past like 10 or 12 years would be part two. Okay. And then way back, I've seen one and two a, a couple times, at least like back in the day. And so, this, but this was my first time rewatching uh, Hellraiser in a very long, in, in more than probably 10 years. And I, you know, roughly maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I watched the first two. And so it's been even longer since I've seen three or four. And there's, I think two is really, really solid and maybe even a better movie than the first one. Really? Um, and is that, do we know, it doesn't seem that Clive Barker directed that one. No, so, I think he just did the first one. Yeah. Now that I'm clicking on him, it doesn't, doesn't seem like Clive Barker had a very prolific directorial career <laughs> in general. <laughs> I, I actually did rewatch, uh, uh, earlier, maybe in the summer, uh, Lord of Illusions, which I had seen like, you know, at some point in time, like back in the nineties and I was just like, Oh, go be kind of fun to revisit that and it it's it's not great it, it's pretty messy there's some there's some great ideas yeah his career seemed to like peak with uh hellraiser and yeah and, and, and he did uh candy man too right he had some i don't know if he directed it but i think he was a, a writer maybe. i don't think he i don't think he directed it might have been based on like a book that he wrote or something because I, I don't mean to throw shade to clive barker i i I'm not familiar with his work like at all. I don't know. I'm really not either. Just just Hellraiser and Lord of Illusions, and then I, I was you know flipping through uh, IMDb and I saw Candyman uh, come up. So he had something to do with that, presumably. It looks like it looks like he's credited as the writer for the sequel. <laughs> oh, uh, uh, which actually I have seen and is fucking terrible. If I I'm remember not correctly, seen the sequel. I saw the, <laughs> I, I've seen the original and I saw the, the remake, which is, that was an experience. And <laughs> really me sort of, it, it's, it's very well photographed. Um, and there are some sort of cool things, but it is an awful movie. Oh yeah. So he's got, original writer credit on Candyman, so presumably it's based on a book that he wrote maybe, i've always had him like slotted in my head as like the a horror author who is maybe like scarier stephen king or like grosser stephen king but i've never like read any of his work so i don't know if that's a very fair comparison maybe like clive barker fans are, are tearing at the walls <laughs> right now here hearing my uh, ignorance but <laughs> yeah i don't know and I've, I've never read any of his books either so Kind of surprised here because you're you're reminding me. I, I I watched this movie really late last night and then kind of passed out. And then I've been really busy today. But there was a little bit of additional research I wanted to do, and I've I've just uh, been a bad podcast host and like Googled <laughs> it 
while you were chatting, but uh, a couple big surprises for me, I would say. Uh, I thought this movie looked really good, and when a guy like Clive Barker is directed, I think this is maybe his first movie, Yeah, uh, I tend to be like, well, who shot it? Because that's probably why it looks good, but his cinematographer for this, uh, Robin Vigian, Vigian, uh, not nearly as prolific as I would have guessed, uh, and his most popular movie is also Hellraiser, so... I guess I, I'm sure he's a great cinematographer, but I do have to give Clive Barker a little bit more credit than I was uh, initially going to give him. And then the other thing that I really want to shout out is I, I was like, cause they made so many sequels. So I was, it, it, you kind of do the math in your head where it's like, well, it must've been successful if they were so foaming at the mouth to make more. Uh, do you know what the budget for the first Hellraiser was? Uh, I watched a little bit of YouTube today uh, on Hellraiser stuff. So I think it, I heard around a million. Yeah, it says it's a million, which is if people don't know like budgets for films that well, that is an incredibly low amount of money to make to make a movie. Uh, it was more in in the eighties, but still not, yeah, true, not a true. big budget. Yeah, it's, but it's like, and you, it, you do watch the movie, and it is funny. It occurred to me towards the end, I was like, oh, like eighty nine percent of this movie is just at this house, uh, which is kind of genius when it comes to to like filmmaking where yeah yeah there's these like big huge spectacle scenes of like the 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 practical effects and all that stuff but i'd say like 70 percent of this movie is them just kind of skulking around this one house and then there's like a pet shop in like an alley right <laughs> it's like and that's those are the only locations for the film so it's actually i yeah, just it's, it's very contained i'm a very big fan of like contained movies low budget films and so when i see them utilizing their resources like so effectively that always is very striking to me um but yeah it looks like it made 15 million in the box office but something i'm not gonna sit here and try to like go down the rabbit hole on and i'm just gonna say it's probably a safe assumption to say back in the 80s the Pudding, the proof in the pudding was really, that's a terrible analogy. Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? Uh, <laughs> Jesus wept. Uh, the the real moneymaker was the home video sales, right? And I have to imagine this fucking sold like gangbusters. I'm, this I'm is, sure. <laughs> I mean, horror, horror fans are ravenous. So. Yeah. A, a movie that's um, like, like this, that's all gory and nasty. I, I wasn't around then, but I can just picture the word of mouth of like, you seen this fucked up movie called Hellraiser? Uh, it's like, yeah, dude, like you should go. Like, uh, one of the best reviews I read on Letterboxd was a very long winded review about being a kid and his like cool older cousin took him to the video store and they rented Hellraiser and it like was the best slash most ruinous experience of his <laughs> life. And, uh, and just being in this like dark basement watching this horrific thing, which I'm sure back then was like fucking crazy, you know? Uh, it is funny because, like, without I, I must have subconsciously known that Candyman was kind of a Clive Barker adjacent thing because I did find myself thinking about Candyman a lot while I was watching this movie, hmm. uh, both because of like the interesting low budget nature of both of the movies and just some of like the just tonally they feel similar with like the a lot of like body horror, but like some slight like sexual politics at play at times as well. One of my notes, there's like there's a note like really late in my Google Doc that says like I did think this movie was gonna be 
sexier or i don't <laughs> i don't know how i phrased it where i thought i think i, I think i phrased it like i thought this movie would be hornier uh mm-hmm. and then the second i wrote that the chatterer showed up and shoved his fingers into Kirsty's mouth. And I was like, well, you know what? I guess I, I guess I spoke too soon. Well, apparently according to one of the YouTube videos I watched today, uh, it it was originally intended to be, but, uh, you know, they're, they were afraid that, you know, if they got, if, if they, if it was more horny, then it wouldn't have gotten an R rating. Yeah. Um, I just, um, so, so apparently they didn't even end up filming some like the sexy, whatever i don't know if sexy is the right word but you know what i'm saying like yeah some explicit yeah some of the more explicit or or even just more strongly implicating scenes i I certainly Uh, i certainly did yes so they didn't shoot end up shooting everything that that uh i think barker had originally imagined and then you know some of what they did shoot didn't end up in the movie you know which obviously happens all the time but yeah i think some of it was just around Either, uh, you know, and I don't know whether it it was actually, you know, based on MPAA uh, feedback or whether, you yeah. know, they, what they just expected to get from from the uh, the ratings. I, I, I saw one little blurb somewhere that the movie was even gorier than uh, the intention was. They had shot gorier versions, but an X rating was like on the table for them. So they... There's like scenes with like her bashing people with the hammer that were like sort of chopped apart, which even, even what did make it still pretty fucking gnarly, honestly. Well, Uh, (laughs) well, there's one guy that was watching. He's, he's kind of like, yeah. And the ratings board was like, oh, you know, three, uh, three head hammer bashes to the head is, 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 is really violent. And he's like, as if the first one isn't really violent, like <laughs> it's kind of a weird thing. Like, what are we talking about here? One of, one of my favorite documentaries that I've ever watched is a movie called "This Film Is Not Yet Rated." Yeah, that the movie's so good, <laughs> and it just it just shows you the fucking dog and pony show circus that is the MPAA board and how arbitrary and nonsense it is, and how and, well, and how they don't even follow their own rules. Yeah. and it's like. Nope. These rules are self-made. You can make, you're making up your own rules and then you're not even following them. What? 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 <laughs> Just pure insanity. Yeah. It's, it's not great. And that, and that was one of the moments really early on for me because I didn't really start becoming like a true cinephile until college. And I watched this for a college class. Oh. And that was when I was like, oh, like anything sexual in like American film is so heavily censored and the hammer gets brought down on it so hard where it's like you have like one scene of a woman like masturbating and it's just like bam x rating and it's just like uh, but it's like oh yeah like uh 15 people getting shot in the face by dirty harry or, or whatever and yeah it's fine don't worry about right. that <laughs> like, i don't know it's one thing i've always appreciated about certain like international films where it's like like french cinema will just like show you cocks and dicks all the time and it's just like yeah you know whatever you can show it this is the sexuality cinema uh but <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh but, but in america it's like if you show a wang it like has to be flaccid uh <laughs> it's just like it's pretty funny <laughs> but then you get stuff like i guess like uh buffalo uh, is it buffalo 66 no it's brown bunny uh brown bunny with uh vincent gallo <laughs> 
Cla- classic unsimulated blowjob caught on film. <laughs> I don't know why that's like a go-to reference for me. It's just fascinating to me that a guy directed a film where he has an actress blow him in it. And I was just like, yeah, okay, that seems fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I guess going into the movie, every time you hear the Cenobites pitched, and of course, all you, all I know about the movie is the Cenobite stuff. It's shocking that they barely factor in until towards the end of the movie. It does make for a grand entrance, though. It's like they've been kind of teased a little bit throughout. And then, like, there's only like a half hour left in the movie, and then bam, they fucking show up and you see them in like all their glory. And I'm sure it was really like a big gut punch back in the day when you didn't really know like if you had no idea what the Cenobites were and it's like 1987 and you're watching this for the first time that's got to be fucking crazy to see for the first time where it's like pin pinhead's imagery has so pervaded so like like society that it's like it's unavoidable i wasn't shocked when i saw pinhead i was honestly more surprised by the other ones that haven't gotten as much play you know i was like oh shit she got like fucking hooks through her mouth or what's what's going on over there you know <laughs> or like the reveal that the guy's got like mouth eyes or whatever i was like oh shit that's gross <laughs> but Pin- pinhead's like i mean pinhead's had like family guy cutaway jokes mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah uh so it's 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 interesting i don't know i mean can you remember at all like what it felt like to watch them a little bit when they were a little less well known was there anything that like really I mean, did these did those movies like get under your skin or, or stick with you or like freak you out or weird you out anything like that? Um, not really. Uh, and I mean, I saw I saw the movies probably in the '90s. I didn't watch them as a kid, so I you know so Pinhead was already you know well established as a you know as a as sort of cinematic figure, you know before I saw any of them and. It had to be at least the first three were already out, you know, and probably the first four. Mm-hmm. And I think I just, you know, went and rented one after the other at some point in time when I was, you know, maybe a teenager or or in my early 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I kind of, but, you know, what what's great is, is that, you know, I'm not a big horror movie fan and Hellraiser doesn't, feel like a horror movie in a lot of ways like it does in a lot of ways but in a lot of ways it really doesn't and it's certainly not you know you know and i don't know if it was in 87 or 88 but like you know now it gets kind of like you were talking about it kind of gets lumped in with like nightmare on elm street or Mm -hmm. halloween or friday the 13th and it's really a very different kind of movie than any of those maybe it's a little bit similar to nightmare on elm street but it's got it really has nothing. a little bit of Nightmare on Elm Street, like a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and there are moments where Frank does look a little Freddy-ish <laughs> uh, in the movie where I was like, that's just straight up Freddy, I think. Uh, but but especially uh, like this one and, and, and the second one, like they feel like they're something almost in their own genre. That well, the, I can't really think of anything that, that feels like it's kind of like this. Well, the the thing that I wasn't expecting was just how psychological these movies are. Like the, I mean, ultimately, it's a movie about a woman being manipulated by a guy to do bad things because she is in love with him, I guess. Uh, and another, and like that's a big chunk of the plot is is 
uh, Julia, I think her name is. Yeah. Uh, just luring men back to the house, like fucking under the skin and like killing them and shit. And like, again, like the Cenobites don't even show up until the last like 30 minutes of the movie. And this is also like, especially compared eventually like Friday the 13th and, and Halloween start fucking around with like demonic shit. But like this from the jump is like very supernatural, very demonic. Uh, and again, very psychological. It's also certainly a lot uh, grosser than those kinds of movies. Like they have mm. like, like vicious kills in, in like your typical slasher right. films, but nothing quite as gross as the viscera being like pinned to the pole and just like guts on the floor and maggots and just right. lo lo lots and lots of gross shit, which isn't really my jam. Uh, right. It that, reminded me like, like some of that reminds me of the thing a little bit. Yeah. You know, certainly but, some but of the yeah, practical that's effects. More, the, the, right. Right. Uh, like when the, when the skeleton forms for the first time, I certainly was like thinking about the thing a little bit when that was happening. <laughs> That's a really good call. Uh, I, I do one, one thing I definitely have to give credit to, to Hellraiser is they definitely understand that slimy looking stuff looks nasty <laughs> and they just slime the shit out of everything. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, I'm just like, every time Frank touches her, I'm just like, no, <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. uh, the, the squeamishness aside, I was surprised by how taken I was with this movie. Um, because I do love like psychological, like, thrillery horror crap like some of my favorite stuff in recent years has been like stuff like black swan and perfect blue and i just love people's minds being messed with and there's elements of this movie that are just like i i, I both really enjoyed this movie but also had that slight frustration of feeling like i'm being presented with a lot of really cool ideas that aren't necessarily being executed to what i would feel like is their fullest extent like yeah. i love the it's barely touched on but like when the cenobites show up they're like like we are neither heaven nor hell some call us demons some call us angels and i was like oh what a fun idea like because it is like if we met an alien species like our our immediate jump to like maybe this is an angel or a demon and not thinking about like interplanetary travel which is a, what i think they were implying kind of uh, i don't really know hellraiser lore at all and they certainly don't dive very deep into it in the first one i'm sure it gets really convoluted as the movies go on uh <laughs> but i was like oh what a what a neat idea they come from some kind of alternate dimension or planet where they just are all fucked up and weird and shit and they love like abducting people and torturing them forever which that that does get under my skin like one of my top like if I had to like make a list of like my top fears, uh, the idea of just being like captured and tortured like endlessly is is very very high on that list. Like if I allow myself to dwell on that idea long enough, I can't actually legitimately get myself worked up about it. Like there's scenes in like Texas Chainsaw Massacre when he's like pinned at the table and and Leatherface is just kind of like casually just like driving a knife into his arm and like dragging it down and like peeling his skin back like that shit fucks with me mm. bad and maybe people are just like what are you even talking about right now but it's just that's just how i feel like yeah. when 
when I was a, I, I was watching the movie and really trying to give myself over to it, and when I was imagining being Frank stuck in this like hell dimension, just having my skin flayed from me over and over, like like my my it, assumption is that they basically like rip him apart over and over again and probably put him back together and then just do it again and again and uh, over and over and like that's like the worst possible thing I can imagine, even over just like nothingness is like being just tortured endlessly <laughs> i guess i don't know maybe do i sound like an insane person <laughs> no I, I think something like that but um uh, it, you know it's certainly it you know their their focus is on experience and and they kind of again it's you know like i agree they they kind of dangle some very interesting ideas and don't really do a lot it, so it's you know, it's there's good and bad. Like the good side of that is like it's enough to really make the the movie and the the characters intriguing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same point in time, like it does leave you wanting a little bit more of like, well, you know, and and I mean you can piece together certain things. Yeah, you know, so you know, desire and 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 lust and uh, you know these these are coming to play in the plot, you know, as Julia's, you know, has, she's in a, in a marriage, but she's lusting after, you know, this other man, Yeah, you know, the, her brother-in-law, you know, she breaks the, the bonds of marriage out of this impulse that, you know, Mm -hmm. she can't control or won't control. And, you know, she deals with the, the consequences of that. And that's sort of, you know, I think, the movie is exploring those themes and again, not in a particularly deep way, but it is an evocative way. And sort of what comes up for me is like the, the relative link between like pleasure and pain. Like if you're, if you're like, you know, have like a splitting headache or, you know, you, you in some sort of pain, just like, just the cessation of that pain is like incredible. If it, well, like when it finally mm. stops going away, you're like, Oh, Oh, thank God. You know, and you feel so good, but like, you know, like right now, like I'm not in any pain and I'm not, I'm not having that elation. Right. So there's this link between like pleasure and pain that that they're they're relative uh, to each other. Yeah. Like scratching an itch and, or like, I I always remember, I can't remember what movie it is, but Morgan Freeman's like listing off his 10 favorite things. And one of them is just like a good bowel movement. <laughs> and I remember being like, ooh, gross. But then like, as I've gotten older, I've been like, actually, no. Like when you have like a good one, it does feel kind of good. <laughs> like, but no, I really like that. I think about that stuff all the time without like sadness. There'd be no such thing as happiness without right. the pain of a splitting headache. There's not knowing the normalcy of like just having a clear head and stuff. So yeah, that's I really like you right like yeah uh and so i think again there's like there's little breadcrumbs there that aren't really put together but it's like you know frank goes off looking for apparently some like new experience you know and he finds the puzzle box and like again it's it's not explained but like you know there's some sense that like this puzzle box is the you know like he already knows when he gets it that it's you know a, a a key to something else to something new Right. And he, so he's following this, you know, this urge or this, this need or desire for, for new experiences. Do and, you, do you feel like, so I'm glad we're talking about this because 
I, I've always preached like I like letting the audience do work. I like, you know, not being on the nose or leaving things unsaid and leaving that stuff for them to tie together. So I hate when I do stuff like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. It really feels like, I don't know if it's because they were going so far out of their way to avoid an X rating or what, but there simply just is not enough of Frank going kind of far to put that side by side with how far he fucking goes <laughs> like off the edge in search of this new experience right because like right i thought for sure the movie was when they started doing flashbacks with him and julia and there's a good scene where he's like no it's still not enough and like he uh like goes to leave and she's like i'll do whatever you want and i was like okay throughout the movie we're going to see them progressively do crazier and crazier shit like in the bedroom. And it's not right. going to satisfy him because nothing will ever be enough. They kind of just, it kind of stops there. She basically just goes, I'll do whatever you want. And he's like, cool. And then we just never see any of that <laughs> stuff again. And I was like, there's just a gap between sleeping with your brother's wife, which is fucked up uh, to summoning demons in search of like some kind of crazy sexual <laughs> right. experience. Like there's a, there's an in-between that's missing. Like there's a, there's a thing where she's looking at the photos, right? But yeah. even the photos aren't that crazy. He just looks All like right. he's like having sex with somebody. <laughs> uh, so, and again, I don't know if it was like the times or they were just, it was something they were thinking about, but they're like, we can't put him like flogging her and like dripping candle wax everywhere. And like, uh, the thing is like, I know people that will hang on hooks for fun. Yeah. Like that's like a thing that, so I, it's, I, I I just don't know if it's like being held back by the era that it's being made in. I think so. <laughs> I have to imagine the book must be insane because <laughs> like books are just allowed to do anything. Uh, and so maybe there's more of that in the book. Uh, but, and I, again, I, I the, the puzzle pieces are there to understand that's the journey that he was on. Right. But, and so I hate being like, well, you got to show it to us, but I'm like, I think you got to show it to us <laughs> just a little bit. Like yeah, it could I even think, be like very, very cinematic and just do brief flashes of her blindfolded, candle wax dripping, right. spanking, like stuff like that. Like it could be really quick. Uh, but I just, there's like, for a movie that's like one of the things you read when you're going to jump into it is like sadomasochistic, blah, blah, blah. It like kind of doesn't touch on that shit at all until it gets to the extreme end of the spectrum of it it just it, it just goes too far too fast right. <laughs> and then i was also fascinated with like there's a moment where like kirsty's being confronted with these guys and i'm like and you you set it up top like the movie doesn't really give her much to do i realized at the end of the movie when i was like hoping for her to live there was a moment where i was like why is like she's not been like <laughs> developed as a character at all but it does feel like another missed opportunity and maybe they, maybe they dabble with this in some of the other sequels, but it's just like, how much more fascinating is this story? If it's like, Kirstie's like a dominatrix, like moonlighting as a dominatrix or something, or there's some element of that sadomasochism, like in our protagonist's life, instead of she's just innocent girl who really likes her dad. Right. Like, right. like there's the, the juxtaposition between that and Cenobite is too, yeah. great like it is like it does feel like something innocence being sullied when they're manhandling her and stuff and i i was yeah. uneasy in like a good way but i don't know it just feels like there's like some missed opportunities here and there and, and i hate 
being that guy that's like rewriting the movie. And again, I liked what, what I was presented with. There's a lot of really nice surprises, I think, about this movie. But yeah, it was just like some thoughts I was having like while I was watching it, you yeah. know? No, I, I agree <laughs> completely. And it's, again, I think, you know, I, I really like this movie because I think, you know, like I said, it's, it, it does great at presenting this sort of art, this, this operatic, gothic sort of horror romance you know, it, it feels like, you know, uh, like Edgar Allan Poe or like, you know, like mm -hmm. Frank like classic, like Frankenstein or Dracula, you know, like, you know, like the literature that, you know, maybe has never quite made it to the screen in the right way. And it feels very much like, like Hellraiser comes out of that genre more than any sort of cinematic genre. And there's, you know, and, and I, at least for me, it gets a lot of credit because it is a unique movie. Like uh -huh. that, you know, if there were other movies like this, you know, maybe some of them would have pulled off some of the stuff better, but because it kind of stands on its own, it's really hard. You know, it's like you can pick it apart and like, there's a lot of things that are a little bit messy or that don't come together. The characters aren't really developed. The themes aren't as tight as they could be. And that's all valid, but at the same point in time, it's like, but it, it, you know, the movie is a unique experience and, and the stuff that it does well, it really manages to pull off. One lesson that I think people could take from this movie is the fact that it is so contained does keep it all feeling like it's somewhat on track still to a certain extent, because mm -hmm. we're not dealing with a lot of characters. Right. Like you're able to focus in on like, there's, there's uh, four characters. Yeah. And like, again, I love that. Uh, and it's just like, you know, I, I think ultimately Julia is probably the most interesting character of the piece because she's the one that's sort of caught in the middle. I, I read one review that made me giggle that was like, it was like, God, God bless whoever divorced Clive Barker right after he watched Possession. Otherwise we wouldn't have this masterpiece or something mm -hmm. like that. Cause there, there are, you could take the movie a little bit as like, uh, women bad women will kill men just to sleep with other men but that's not really how i read the piece i guess like i found her i think those sorts of readings are probably weren't even in the water you know 35 years ago the, the only thing that the only thing that like floats for me as far as that is larry is just like a really good guy <laughs> <laughs> to the point where it would make me laugh whenever he because there was like like he's all he's like too good of a guy there's like not a flaw the only thing you could say about him is like maybe he's a little bland i guess but even then it's like he's like hosting this dinner party and he's like the fucking star of the show he's obviously very charismatic and very funny it's like maybe the sex was like not not <laughs> right. what she was after i guess but it's like it would it was a running theme in the movie like when she's like i'm not feeling very well and he just instantly is like Oh my gosh! Oh, let me can I get you anything? Like I was like, he's so nice. Like knowing she's killing people for his shitty brother is like it's just amplified a million times by him just being like the goodest guy ever. Uh, <laughs> and, like it was just really funny to me for some reason. And then Kirsty is like a genuinely nice and caring daughter. There's a really great moment where when he cuts his hand on the nail, uh, Julia brings him down, and she's like your dad's had an accident and she's like, I need you. Can you pull the car around? And she just instantly is like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. I'll go do that. Which is like, I feel like 90% of movies 
would do that scene. I don't know how to explain it, but her genuine concern and immediate action doesn't feel like what most movies would do. They'd be like, a, well, what happened? What happened to his hand? Why are you bleeding? Oh, no. Like There'd be a lot more like fuss, but it was much more realistic to see her be like, mm-hmm. holy shit, he's hurt. I'll go get the car and just go do it. Like it was really endearing to me for some reason. <laughs> I just feel like I don't, especially in like yeah. movies that I was primed for this to be like more of a slasher. You're so used to characters being such shit bags, you mm. know, <laughs> it was right. amusing that Kirstie and Larry were like such good people. Like I, the rudest thing she does is like kicks a guy out of her pet shop for eating her locust or whatever the hell was in that fucking box which i'm like you gotta kick that guy out i think <laughs> i don't really blame her I mean, even her boyfriend who's not in the movie at all but gets to show up for the final climactic sequence for some fucking reason uh he's just like genuinely concerned and trying to help there's a really funny moment where he tries to pick up the puzzle box and she kind of slaps him away <laughs> while they're like scrambling it's pretty funny uh I, I sometimes on the show i do like the i've taken a call in at the rorschach test uh, where I go through like the cast and go, what do you know them from? But I don't know fucking anybody in this movie from anything. That being said, I wanted to bring it up because like, I think everyone in this movie is doing a pretty good job. I, I'd say the weakest is maybe Frank. Honestly. Uh, I feel like Frank maybe got the role because he's really handsome and has a pretty <laughs> deep voice. Uh, although when he's the monster, he's pretty good. There's just moments when he's human Mm-hmm. Where I was like, this guy's like maybe the worst actor in the movie. Uh, Kirstie's not crazy strong, but she's she's good. Yeah. Uh, Julia is uh, great. I mean, uh, let's, let's stop piddling about and give them their names. But yeah, Claire Higgins plays Julia, and I think she's really good in this movie. Uh, Ashley Lawrence is Kirstie, Sean Chapman's Frank, and uh, oh, there's a completely different guy playing the monster. Okay, well, now I can't even give Sean Chapman. Sean Chapman. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> uh, but Andrew Robinson plays Larry. I thought Larry was like, he's, he's really striking a good balance between like being kind of a dork, but kind of charming. Like, yeah. I don't know. I was, I was, I was kind of, I, I liked him actually. <laughs> I liked Larry. Uh, I don't know. I, do, I mean, do you have any strong feelings about the acting in the movie? Uh, not really. I wasn't, uh, th- there was a couple moments that I, I was like, that's not. I don't know. They didn't feel completely right for me, but yeah. it wasn't in, none of them were like, it wasn't in performances were like ruining the movie for me either. So like, it was mostly like good, but nothing blew me away and nothing ruined it for me either. So one of the things I was like, ha- I said, the one performance is, is like pinhead, like, yeah, like that, that guy really brought it for, uh, you know, just having the, again, it's, it's a little bit over the top, but it, it so perfectly fits like what is needed for that role. Yeah. If he's only going to be in like three scenes, he needs to show up and be really big yeah. uh, to like stick with you. <laughs> and, and it is like, again, right. right. And that will do like, that's one of the things I think um, just like some of those, those lines, like they just stick in my head. And I remember like, even after like the first or second time of seeing the movie, like, it just stuck in my head, like the way that he would deliver these lines, like "We will tear your soul apart." Yeah, and, yeah, you yeah. know. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's like you feel scared by him. Yeah. He just, especially like some of the verbiage that they give him is like a little. It's like a next level of like threat, where it's like instead of saying like they're gonna get you or whatever, it's like "We will tear your soul apart." It's like, whoa, that's like. 
okay, wait, you can get, you can get my soul? Like, what, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> uh, he's great. I think, I think all the Cenobites are pretty solid. Like, uh, two of them don't really have to do a whole lot, but uh, Chatter is like, a, yeah. he's pretty physical, I think. Uh, he's the one that jams his fingers in Kirsty's mouth, <laughs> so he's got that. But, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I One thing I was having a really hard time. They give Christy a lot or Kirsty a lot more to do in, in the second one. Yeah, I would imagine that she's, uh, it sounds like, I briefly glanced at the plot, and it sounds like she maybe shows up to like a mental hospital or something to like warn people about the Cenobites or something. And it, it just seems like pretty much anyone that lived in this movie gets to like, well, the thing is like, I saw Claire Higgins is listed as in the second one too. So I don't know if it's, that's just, she's in the movie technically because of flashbacks or they, maybe there's a flashback portion of it. Or, I mean, this is a movie where people can come back to life. So it's not out of the question that Julia comes back. I suppose she seems to get like hussed, at the end, like he like sucks her blood and she turns into a husk or something. So I don't really know what, what happened with her. I, I don't feel like she's necessarily on the hook with the Cenobites, but maybe just cause she was in the vicinity, she gets swept up in that. She was technically killing for a demon. <laughs> right. There's a lot of blood on her hands. <laughs> uh, well, it's just kind of weird. Cause like when I, I was just thinking about it this morning and I, I was almost like, wait, what? even happened to julia because the movie just shifts focus in like that last the last whatever 20 or 30 minutes and it's like we're we're kind of done with you know uh julia he here and um and then uh uh what's her, the the dad gets whatever like frank kind of takes over yeah because eventually uh julia gives up and lets frank take larry that's and then yeah. frank takes larry's face there's a, right, a really right. funny moment where kirstie's like crying to larry i'm using the air quotations right. uh and you can just clearly see around his head that he's got huge bloody streaks from like where he put the face on and i i i, I think i have a note somewhere that's like <laughs> like that's insane that she didn't know this this but she was just accosted by the Cenobites, so I'm maybe going to let it slide because she's probably in a pretty big, pretty bad state right now. I think that's fair. Uh, <laughs> but the guy that's playing Larry is also playing it so sinister and evil. It's like very comical to a certain extent. <laughs> right. Being, being like, he's so obviously Frank. <laughs> and he's like, come to daddy. And come she's to like, daddy. my dad never says that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he's a good guy. And I probably wouldn't like him anymore if he did. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've done a really good job of staying on topic, but. I don't know. Have have we discussed much horror on this show before? Uh, no. And I'm I'm not a big horror fan. So okay. So because I was wondering, it is October, and you know sometimes it's worth like diving into. The, the, what's funny though is I keep saying I'm doing spooky movies, but my full intention is to sometime next week record a solo episode where I finally watch Over the Garden Wall because I always hear that that movie's like really good, and I don't think it's spooky. I think it's just a fall movie. Oh, like the cartoon with uh, yeah. Elijah Wood? I think so, it's yeah. It's okay. <laughs> really? It's a kind of a beloved film. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I never heard of it, and like I just came across it literally years ago, and I was like, I don't know, it looks fun. I'll I'll pick it up and check it out, and I was kind of like, eh, it's, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will say one thing that's a very fun thing for me on Letterboxd is movies that are consistently really well regarded i'll i'll scroll through them 
and I'll be like flipping through the people I follow and to see what they rated it. And I'll get to you. Cause for some reason you're always like on the end. Uh, it'll be like everyone that I follow is like four and a half stars, four stars, five stars, four and a half, four and a half. I get to you and it's like three stars. And I'm just <laughs> like, man, Andrew, Andrew's a harsh critic, man. <laughs> well, on the other hand, like Tangirl is like a, like a, 4.5 for me and everyone else is like screw that movie <laughs> i think we just you know just have to like what you like and, and right. deal with yeah. it so i don't know I'll be no no accounting for taste yeah i yeah i i think consistently throughout our friendship i've been i feel like i can safely say i've yet to pin down whether you'll actually <laughs> like a movie because <laughs> i just it's always up in the air for me like sometimes you'll just like say this movie's fucking incredible and it usually will be incredible, but then I'll have a movie that I'll be like, this movie rules. And you'll be like, fuck that. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that doesn't, that's the thing that's fun about like discussing movies with people is like taste and just like what's up people's alleys and stuff where something I've been encountering lately on this show is I'll watch a movie that I think is like kind of objectively perfect, but it's just not my thing. Yeah. I, in recent memory, I'd say I did Zodiac for the show, and I think it's a really well-made movie, but there are things about it that are just not w what interests me in film, you know? And I, I'm not as on board for the characters in that movie, and so it just, like, it's not going to reach the level of, like, say, mm. I, I, like, my favorite films, you know? But then some of my favorite films are movies that get middling reviews. Like, I'm always surprised when I, like, I pull up Seven Psychopaths and it's got like okay reviews. And I'm like, ah, I love this movie so much though. Uh, I had like a kind of a fun sobering moment where I had Justin on the show and he was pretty hard on it. And I was like, oh, you know, yeah. I actually appreciate this perspective. You know, there's, there's a very, it's a very rare movie that I won't uh, accept criticism on. It came up that we would, Justin was like, well, I've never seen Silence of the Lambs. And I was like, I don't know if I could handle you trying to trash that movie because okay. I think that that's an actual masterpiece and I would get probably legitimately angry if I had to argue with you about it. <laughs> Whereas something like Seven Psychopaths, I'm like, yeah, it's not everybody's cup of tea, whatever. Uh, like even True Romance, which is like one of my right. favorite movies of all time. There, It's got issues. It's got serious right. issues. <laughs> I just love it. It's just really, it's I like it. <laughs> I don't know. I've uh, got a little... A, a, field there but but yeah like horror movies so like i don't know i've i've watched like the first three nightmare on elm street movies i'm like the, the i don't know the second one left me a little bit underwhelmed one and three the, the, the second solid. one's like a pretty infamous thing as far as that movie goes like it's um, it's fun as like a like a historical artifact but that movie is a fucking mess uh, <laughs> well, i i watched uh halloween for the first time like the original john carpenter and I'm just, I'm not a John Carpenter fan. Um, and so I kind of went into it with pretty low expectations, despite like the love that so many people have for that movie. And I was still for, honestly underwhelmed. And I was like, really? Th this is it, huh? I'd say. I, did, I, I thought the movie was, uh, I don't want to say awful, but I thought it was bad. Yeah, I might be a hot take, uh, but I do think, I think Halloween's a little overrated. And uh, I, I say that as someone that really likes the movie and I find some of the elements of it like actually very interesting. Like I, I think the whole movie comes together in the last two seconds, like when they're showing 
all those empty rooms that Michael Myers had been in. There's something like very chilling about that. And then I like Carpenter's music. So of course that lifts it, but it is funny sometimes when you see Halloween is almost always put as like the best horror movie ever made, or sometimes even it's lumped in with like some of the best movies ever made. And I'm like, is it though? The the (laughs) only thing, the only thing for me when it comes to the first Halloween movie is just that I do find it insanely watchable. It's such a vibe movie that I do like to throw it on occasionally because it's just like nothing happens. It's just a guy walking around and like he stabs a couple people and like it's, I, I like it just because of the fall vibes, you know, like I love, a, I love a fall, falls maybe, I mean, falls like the best season, right? Like, like I think most, I don't think that's a hot take. Like the smell of fall is just unlike mm-hmm. anything else. Like I love the smell of fall. And, and of course, you know, the the leaves and all that good stuff but like when the weather when the weather really hits the right spot in the fall i just don't think there's a better time of year and when a movie captures that vibe like when i feel like i can smell fall coming mm-hmm. from a movie that makes me like happy that that's interesting <laughs> to hear because like like i said i i really didn't like that movie and even as i was watching it i was kind of like this is not even watchable because like i like <laughs> the dialogue like like people are talking and they're not saying anything. And it's not even like a, you know, Quentin Tarantino, like they're not saying anything like, no, they're really not saying anything. Yeah. And, and so I was just really frustrated pretty much the whole movie. Like, yeah, the, the, the dialogue's not going anywhere. There's not a lot happening, but you know, maybe if I was like sort of vibing with the movie, I would have enjoyed my time with it. But for whatever reason, right? Like, that didn't hit me. No, and I, I was I'm, like, so, I'm so, I I'm so glad, I got, I'm so glad we heard movie. this take. <laughs> um, and you know, and maybe people feel like that about Hellraiser, where it's like, you know, I I really like the gothic aesthetic of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that makes this movie um, a really fun movie to watch, despite all of its sort of flaws and uh, messiness. Is it it just nails that aesthetic, mm-hmm. and you know, so it gets a bonus point or something for for no. just doing some things really, really well. I used to think that I don't really like vibe stuff because one of my biggest things with almost every movie that I have problems with comes down to whether I like the character. Not even that I like the characters, that I'm interested in the characters. Yeah, uh, and I certainly think Halloween's a little bit guilty of that in that, like. There's not a whole lot going on with Jamie Lee Curtis's character in that movie. Like Donald Pleasance, maybe to a certain extent, but things like Halloween and like Inherent Vice and stuff and uh, The Long Goodbye, those are movies that are a little bit more vibey. And I didn't think I'd like them that much, but I kind of do. It's just if you can make me, if you can give me characters that are still like, uh, the shortcut is just cast people that are interesting looking and then just have them move around in the world. And if a movie feels like a warm bath that you can sink into, I'll, I'll, I'll go for the ride. Like that's, that's fine. This movie's a little more in your face. I certainly don't want to be in the Hellraiser <laughs> world. Uh, it's Fair everything's enough. just very gross. Like I, I just cannot believe the state of their house and how it almost, it barely improves even as the yeah. movie goes on. Like, there's there's just doors that seem to be like 
I don't know, like, I don't know if it's mold or, or what's going on. Like, there's just decrepit shit everywhere. Well, the-, the house was sitting empty for like 10 years and then they're just moving in. So I don't know. Like, it all makes sense. One of the, one of the, um, one of the most reoccurring things in the movie is the, I don't know if that'll pick up on the mic, but it's just like, I have subtitles on always. And the amount of times I saw brackets, rats squeaking, I was just like, Jesus Christ. It's like every time someone walks in the house, it's just like, cue the rats. <laughs> and they spend most yeah. of the movie in the house. <laughs> and it's like, it's just, it's gnarly. But it's funny because like when the body's reforming, yeah. the rats are freaking out and then you feel bad for the rats. <laughs> so like, they like, this is our house. Who <laughs> yeah, are these people? It's fucked, man. They were, they were just chilling. Uh, and then they, and then, God, there's that insane moment. I actually, I do want to, like I said that I wanted to do more of a general discussion up top, but I do want to hit some of the beats of the movie. Cause there are some, yeah, there are yeah. some things that happen in this movie that are truly insane and are like, as a first time viewer, just a genuine, just like, holy shit moment. That was some, that sometimes I don't get even doing the show where I'm almost exclusively watching stuff I've never seen. There's like some real jaw dropping moments, whether it's funny or gross or weird. So, uh, I don't know, was there any big overarching things before we like hit some of the beats of the film here? Um, I guess, well, I don't know. My mind just went to it. So like just at the start of the movie, uh, you know, the, the sort of, I guess the inciting incident is they're moving the bed into the house and that's when, uh, uh, you know, Larry cuts his hand on that nail. I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, look, oh, that's a nice little touch. Like they have marriage problems. He's moving the bed into the house and is when he gets like his hand cut on the nail. I was like, I appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there are, as much as like, there's a lot of messiness in the movie, it's like there are other times where it's like that, and it's like, oh, that's that's a nice touch. I like that. Yeah, the, the metaphor of the bed being the thing that like causes the injury and stuff. Uh, but it's also, it made me think, like how like A, just how many movies in general, and then B, horror movies. Movies love to start with characters moving into a place like, and I, 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 there's some obvious reasons why that would be a trope that seems so common, but it did get my wheels spinning a little bit. I was just like, man, why is this so prevalent? It's just like, I could just like, I can think of like so many different movies where they move. It's just like, I guess the spookiness of a new house or I don't know, but cause it's like, you know, sometimes that like families will move to a neighborhood and something will be like fucky with the neighborhood or they're dealing with the being, being somewhere new gives you like a excuse in the script to have characters have to like introduce themselves. But it doesn't really happen that much in this movie, which reminds me completely got off topic, but I genuinely could not pin down where this movie was meant to take place. At some point he offhandedly says like, we're back on your home turf. So I, I think they mentioned Brooklyn, like they were moving from Brooklyn, and I don't think they Brooklyn. moved that far away. So I'm guessing, like maybe upstate New York or something like that, or maybe like, somewhere in Jersey. Some people have British accents, but not very many people. But she has a British accent. But you know, Larry and Kirsty obviously don't. Frank doesn't. Like I think yeah. I feel like the first guy she picks up at the bar seems to be British, but then the other guys don't seem to be. And like I was like. Where, where does this take place? Like, I, I just, I could not crack it for the life of me. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, the, the marital bed scene's great. Uh, I was laughing because, you know, we, we joked about the movie not having a lot of locations, but the movie does open up in Indiana Jones land for some reason. Uh, <laughs> we just get this crazy ass scene where this guy's like sitting at like, it's just a very classic, like, uh, stereotypical weird open market with like people milling about on the streets. Like, I don't even know what you call it, like a bazaar. Yeah, I guess like, so. Uh, yeah. and the guy, I guess like, what can I, what play? He says like a lime or he's like, what pleasure can I give you or whatever? And he has like, just the box. And he wants, he hands over the money. So I was like, okay, there's the box. Like that was another thing. He's like, I know pinhead. I know there's like a box. Uh, and so the, this puzzle box is baffling. I will say one of the big weird convoluted moments of the movie comes at the end when she's just like reverse solving the puzzle box to just kill everybody. It, just, it felt very like, why didn't Frank or anybody else that's ever had this puzzle box do this uh <laughs> although the puzzle box doesn't seem to it doesn't like i don't imagine it kills the centibites it just kind of sends them away yeah i think it just sends them back uh but we get this like very cinematic frank's like in a circle of candles like sweating profusely love love a 70s 80s movie that just <laughs> isn't isn't afraid of sweat like people are very fucking sweaty in this movie and i love it uh and solves the box and we just immediately someone probably the worst effects in the movie is like the hooks going into the skin stuff because like i don't know what they got wrong with the skin texture but it doesn't even begin to look like skin to me Uh, i don't Mm -hmm. know what it was but every time a hook goes into skin it as someone that's kind of squeamish i i wasn't really squirming when that would happen because it looked really fake (laughs) (laughs) it's kind of funny that it's like the first big effect that we see in the movie but like we get a lot of like my note says viscera everywhere gross uh there's something about viscera Mm. uh, if i'm saying that correctly uh the just piles of guts kind of fucks with me a little bit there's a there's a couple places i've been playing religiously i've been playing Baldur's gate three and there's a couple really nasty scenes you can come upon of just piles of body parts and i will say I, I definitely have like piles of guts, body parts, phobia, if that's a thing or <laughs> something, there's something about just seeing all the guts just out and loose that definitely fucks with me a little bit. Uh, like, uh, and maybe I'm, maybe it's like, well, duh, <laughs> that's gross. But even like in a video game, when it's kind of background, it kind of made, it would like make me a little queasy, uh, when I would like walk into a room like that. but. So I'm like, well, starting off on a strong foot here, <laughs> uh, just loose. Someone like kind of puts Frank's face half back together. It's kind of wild. Uh, I don't know for you, like, obviously this isn't your first time with the film, but presumably you gave it another watch. And I, I mean, is any of this stuff like doing anything for you? Or is it just kind of building the aesthetic a little bit? <laughs> um, Yeah, I think it's more just, you know, building the aesthetic and and. Uh, I don't know if I, you know, I don't, I wouldn't, I don't know. I don't get scared in movies just mm-hmm. generally. And I don't think this movie is scary really. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit creepy, but it, I don't, you know, and I don't know how horror fans kind of feel about it. If, if like yeah. the scares are like in this movie, com- comparable to anything else. But again, to me, it's like, there's so many things that this movie is doing that is 
just different from you know what m- most or any other horror movies are doing yeah the the I, i'm i'm more like when i turn some of the concepts over in my mind they kind of get under my skin a little bit mm-hmm. but there's certainly nothing in this movie that had me like uh like oh god i can't even look at it you know and again i'm sure times were different and yeah. seeing some of this stuff in 87 was probably like holy shit uh but maybe yeah. i'm just desensitized or yeah. something like that i certainly there was a moment when I, cause I was watching it so late last night that I was like, I'm literally going to pass out after I finish this. And I had a brief thought where I was like, is this movie going to fuck with me I'm trying to go to bed tonight? And I can tell you, uh, I, I slept uh, pretty soundly. Uh, so yeah, I didn't really, yeah. I, I, I get more triggered by like, I, I actually, I'm a real baby about like supernatural ghosts and s- stuff like that. I, I have a pretty vivid memory of seeing It Follows and that really bothering me like i remember trying to go to bed that night and just my mind was spinning and i was picturing the creature outside my door just marching up the stairs just heading towards me and that one really got me i'm a baby when it comes to jump scares like a real baby mm-hmm. when it comes to jump scares this, this movie doesn't have any does not it really, I not th- really i don't think there was a one like maybe there's a couple times when the centipedes show up that it's a little jarring or shocking the way it's like edited together but there's no like Candyman moments where a hook comes flying through a, a hole in the wall, or there's just like no jump scares really, which I appreciate as someone that both uh, is afraid of jump scares but also <laughs> hates them. I appreciate a movie that's very light on them. I can I can handle you can you, you get a couple. You're allowed to have a couple. Yeah. You can have a couple. I close the medicine cabinet and there's a guy behind me. Moments like it's fine. Right. Uh, but I really think like one or two in a movie is is. All you can get away with if you're trying to take yourself seriously. Yeah, there's like, there's certainly, I think we've slightly gotten away from that era, but there certainly was a long period where it was just all about Jump Scare City. It's like, our movie's scary if it has jump scares, right? If we just play a really high note and something appears, uh, (laughs) that'll fuck with you. Uh, Have you ever seen, um, do you? If I say Pony Smasher, does that mean anything to you? No. Uh, Dave, uh, David S. F. Sandberg, the guy that directed the Shazam movies, um, he kind of got his start on a, uh, he runs a YouTube channel called Pony Smasher. He's a really cool guy. I Sadly, almost every movie he's made, I've been kind of like, <laughs> uh, it's just okay. Uh, but he makes a lot of short films too, and he'd made like a lot of horror movies. Uh, and he, his breakout short film was called Lights Off, I think. Uh, and that's got a pretty brutal jump scare to cap it, but it feels like the whole thing is building to it. Yeah. So that when you see it, it's like, Oh fuck. And then, and then it ends and you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like I I highly recommend that short film to people. Uh, it's, it's really, his short films are actually really good. And he like almost all of them he makes with his wife. It's just him and his wife in their house. So there's something really charming about them. Uh, so definitely recommend pony smashers, uh, uh, YouTube channel. Like sometimes he does like stuff about the industry. He put out a video pretty recently about just how his career and how he got started as an animator and what his life was like before he became a filmmaker. And he's just, a, he's a really good storyteller. Uh, like I think he, I think he had an alternate career as like a very popular YouTuber, but instead he made Shazam too. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a cool guy. He's, he's high on my list of people I'd love to meet. Uh, but yeah, I think he made like, one of the Ouija movies and Annabelle mm-hmm. and shit. And he made a feature length version of lights out, which 
I cannot imagine how you stretch that concept into a feature, but <laughs> hey, you know, you got to take what you can get. Uh, I love, we meet this older couple, Larry and Julia, and I, I will say, just to get this off my chest, like uh, Claire Higgins, incredibly attractive woman, her hair is jesus christ you got a really bad case of 80s hair <laughs> it, is, it is it is fucking brutal it's like i i do not know what the hair was going on in that that entire decade it's, and, and no, it's, it's rough no shade to my mom but i've i've seen pictures of her with this exact haircut like it's just what they did yeah back then unfortunately it does not hold up and it, like and you can tell she's like a beautiful woman right but like everybody in this movie is like salivating over her and I just cannot with her hair. Oh, uh, I feel you. Yeah. Like there's literally moments where I was trying to really concentrate on her face. Cause if I looked at her hair, I was like, Nope, it's gone. Uh, <laughs> but she's a, she's a beautiful woman. She's British. I think, uh, they seem to be Larry basically expo dumps. Like I've had it for a while. And like I, Frank came around, he's gone and, uh, it's, it'll be great where it's like your neck of the woods. We don't ever find out what either of them do. Uh, Larry seems to have a job. It doesn't seem like Julia does. Cause she has time to just run around seducing men all day. So, But I mean, hey, that was the 80s too. Sometimes only, <laughs> only one person needed a job. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, the, the highlight for me of them checking out this new place, which the new place is decrepit, gross. At one point, there's just maggots on food. Uh, my favorite moment, though, is she just lights up like again the 80s where you just light up cigarettes in the house and she fucking drops the cigarette on the floor <laughs> and just stamps it out i was like dude that's like right. and and even like it that's not an 80s thing that's just like her saying fuck you right and fuck or, this house or, yeah, it's uh, just like screw this house <laughs> don't really want to be here <laughs> don't want to think about that time when i cheated on my husband oh uh, trying trying to think pretend like that didn't happen <laughs> uh, it, it's very funny because it, uh, it all kind of gets rolled together where she agrees to move in. I, I don't know if it's during the move in or at some point she finds a box of Frank's photos and she like, we see her rip one of them off and just keep the, the photo part that has Frank in it. Frank is Larry's brother. We'll soon find out that he showed up one day in the rain looking all like out of a romance novel and just immediately seduced her and they fucked. Uh, but at some point there's like these guys that are like helping them move in. And th these guys are just like two of the biggest scumbags ever, especially the <laughs> younger guy. He's just leering at Julia. And then when Kirstie shows up, I was like, Oh God. And then he's just, <laughs> he's just like openly skeeving on her. And then at one point he says to Larry, he's like, yeah, I could see she got her looks from her mother. And Larry, Larry, like a rare moment for Larry in this movie. He just like frowns really deeply. He's just like, her mother's dead and i was just like oh shit because uh, <laughs> you hear him say like oh you guys can get along uh, i knew right off the bat that she was the stepmom and like her mom seemed to be gone and stuff but not something that seems to factor in, in the movie at all like julia and kirstie's relationship and also julia's or uh, kirstie's psyche as far as not having her mother in her life doesn't seem to factor into the film at all uh maybe they dive deeper into it and some of the sequels yeah. where she's like, I miss my mommy. Uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, just... I have to imagine it's a little bit of like, you know, pulling from some like the, like Grimm's fairy tales or something where there's like always a stepmother. Yeah. Or, you know, like I almost imagine like, like he's just like taking that, that sort of trope 
that that you see so often in fairy tales and you know i don't know there's there's some way in which this movie is kind of like a dark twisted screwed up fairy tale sure like, yeah they're, they're not really but you know there's there's elements of that and i don't know like that's kind of my take is it it just comes out of that tradition i'm always so primed to think that if you've had a pa- parent that you lost at a young age that just how that affects you it just feels like that's always like going to be the factor in a movie i've just i've and maybe it's become too cliche at this point that it's like well actually it was because she lost her father at a young age that she's never been able to get over it and this whole movie is a metaphor for finally letting go or something like that that's not really what this movie's interested <laughs> in so but you're right like they're moving the mattress he cuts his hand on a nail she's kind of found frank's like ritual room which this house, as far as I can tell, seems to have like three stories or something to it. Yeah. Uh, and on the third floor, there's like this side room that's going to get a lot of play in this movie. It's like kind of an attic, but not really. It's just kind of a big, open, long room. Uh, house, I guess it should be said, you know, you've mentioned how good the aesthetic is, but like house looks great. All the interiors look proper spooky. Yeah. Uh, this room with its like weird yellow patched up windows and just the whole vibe of everything is like, I have to imagine this is probably a classic case of these were sets that they built. And uh, I guess it was it. The house was a real house. Yeah. So, I, guess, but, I mean, the production design in this movie did a great job, like from, you know, just the set decoration, uh, you know, to the costumes and everything. I, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. Cause I, I don't know why I was going down that, uh rabbit hole because like one of my notes for the movie was like the stairways and the dining room and the living room and the kitchen all felt very real the only room that feels like it could maybe have been a set is that long attic-y room mm, but yeah. maybe that was just a room that was in the house but that also is notably where almost all of the special effects happen which yeah. again like screams like separate this is where we do all the viscera and crazy shit because this is a set we've built to fuck with uh, but they don't really, there's not a lot of like damage that happens to the room itself. So maybe it really was just a room that they had. Although the floorboards do kind of get all crazy and, and shit at a couple, oh, yeah. a couple times. So I don't know. But yeah, that almost looked like, I don't know, like something that was built like maybe even separately in a, yeah. a different location. The rest of the house looks very real though. Uh, and proper. Something I think about a lot is like, my parent. I live with my parents, and they're pack rats, and we just have shit everywhere. And these days, I feel like most movies you watch, everything's so clinical and and like empty and clean. And like, I feel like it's rare to see like this movie's th- their house isn't that cluttered, but it is like well worn in a way that feels like authentic. And yeah. maybe that really is just good set deck. And if it is, then like extra props because it fucking looks real and well worn, and they're just fucking cobwebs on everything, and everything's like rusted over and shitty and fucked up and splintery, and uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's it's good. It's like I, I like the uh, if we're gonna spend like ninety percent of the movie in the house, I'm glad the house is so solid of a of a set piece, you know? Yeah, I think that's kind of a gothic horror thing, you know? For some reason, like when I think gothic horror, I always think like Crimson Peak, and like. I feel like yeah, one of the yeah. main characters of that movie is just the house. You know, mm. the house is always like such a factor. Like when I when I think gothic, 
I yeah. think like architecture first for some reason. Right. <laughs> I think hot goth girls and I think <laughs> architecture. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm wildly off base on that, but it feels right. <laughs> uh, speaking of the attic though, uh, he stumbles in there having been cut. Uh, fun, fun kind of character trait that he is squeamish about blood in a movie that's this gnarly. <laughs> uh, but he, he, uh, very insane foley on all the blood drips, but he's just leaking ooey gooey red syrup blood all over the place. And we see it sinking into the floorboards in a not uh, a pretty supernatural way. And as soon as they stumble out, we see it sort of get like sucked in. And later, I think we'll get the full body reformation scene. But for now, she pulls him out. We get that genuine. She rushes, they, they rush him to the hospital to, to get healed. And then actually, according to my notes, this is where the body scene happens. So, I mean, <clears throat> pretty impressive stuff, especially for 87, I would say with the, this like skeleton man sort of forming, it's very, I don't know if there's like a lot of like reverse film going on here where it was like, I think so something that was together that they pulled apart and then reversed the footage. So it looks like it's forming. Um, I don't know. It's, it's pretty impressive. I think though, like, yeah, I, I would totally watch like a video of like how they did this, you know, like yeah, really solid practical effects, you know, and especially in that scene, it just, it reminds me of like, it's funny. Cause it's like, everyone says like American werewolf in London is like one of the greatest movies of all time. And really the only thing anyone ever says about it is that transformation scene though. It's like so good. And then I'm watching this scene and I'm like, I think this scene's at least somewhat on par with that scene and it's like i don't hear anyone talk about this one like people literally put american werewolf in london in like top 10 lists and then you have a scene that's maybe not as good but like comparable in hellraiser and i don't know i've heard I'm, a lot of people mention this scene really just as, i'm glad as a as an iconic yeah mm -hmm. as an iconic horror scene or an iconic practical effects scene i don't know if i'm just so out of the loop on hellraiser but i was watching it and just being like why have i this is like you would I feel like even before I saw American Werewolf, like I'd seen little people would sneak clips of the transformation scene into stuff or reference it, you know? Okay. I feel like I never see this referenced. And it's like, again, it's not, it's not flawless. I see sure. some of, some of the photography tricks at play, yeah. but it's pretty, pretty fucking impressive. Well, <laughs> I guess I, I don't know that I've heard, I don't remember any particular time hearing people comment about how great the american werewolf scene was really so i you know I, it's just i don't know different circles i guess no that's really interesting because like for me it's almost like one of those things that's become fact it's yeah. like because like i've noticed there's a you know we're kind of in spooky month so it's somewhat relevant but there i know a lot of people who say they love werewolf movies their favorite thing is werewolf movies and you know the other thing i know about people that say they love werewolf movies you know they always you know they always say they always hate every werewolf movie there's not any good ones <laughs> like everybody that loves werewolf movies hates every werewolf movie and it's very funny to me it's like i don't know what it is about that genre that's so hard to get right because it seems like the perfect metaphor for something <laughs> and yet we just keep failing over and over and over yeah, like again. i don't know like a single <laughs> like werewolf movie that's genuinely celebrated as like a good or great movie i'll go to the mat i covered it last year i, I will go to the mat for ginger snaps 
I, I really like that movie. I remember watching that movie like 20 years ago and being like, well, that was okay. <laughs> that's just because uh, that's up my alley, though. Yeah. Like, like using yeah. the werewolf thing is like a, a thing for like a woman going through puberty and stuff is just like, I'm like, yep, spot on. And it's got that sort of like dour horror comedy, like, uh, language to it to where it, it's just up my street. Uh, would I ever say it's a perfect right. movie? No, but it was just, there like, was another movie that was good with like, like just getting an aesthetic and, and holding it like mm-hmm. for all, for all its flaws. Like it, it was pretty comparable at delivering like a, a nice coherent aesthetic. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very funny. Like, cause so, so sometimes I'll be like, well, cause, cause I have seen American werewolf in London and it is a good movie. I think, uh, but honestly, my favorite scene is like when he goes to the movie theater and like all those dead people are, he's like seeing visions of them. Cause it's, it's about as close to like a horror mm-hmm. comedy that the movie gets. And I, I like that scene uh, a lot, but it's not a movie that's particularly stuck with me, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember at some point in time, maybe like 10 years ago, like way after it was out, like watching the, what was it called? I think it was just called Wolf or something that was like back in like the late nineties or maybe like 2001 with like Benicio del Toro. Okay. And I'm like, Benicio del Toro plays a werewolf. How can you get this wrong? <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the Jack. Like, this I've, is going to be fantastic. I've never and, seen the Jack Nicholson one. I'm woefully ignorant of any of like the universal monster creature features. Like I've not seen fucking yeah. any of those movies. Like, Honestly, I, I should maybe just like for next October, just finally run through some of those and, <laughs> and watch Bride of Frankenstein and like Dracula. Like, I mean, it seems insane that I've never seen Bella Lugosi like actually do Dracula. Mm-hmm. I've seen Bella Lugosi in Ed Wood, <laughs> 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 but, but I've never seen him actually play fucking Dracula. That seems kind of stupid. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't either. <laughs> I mean, that, well, that's one of the weird things is like, you know, you have like like going back to like just the gothic thing. It's like the the you know biggest gothic novels are probably Frankenstein and Dracula. Mm-hmm. And as I haven't read uh, Dracula, and I've only I saw the Bram Stoker one like fifteen years ago. I remember very little about it. Yeah, but like I know like you know what what when that when Hollywood got a hold of that property, it was not it seemed like it was not really what the novel was you know at least for those early yeah. Bill Lugosi ones and maybe you know I don't know how Bram Stoker or any of the other ones have done since then but and it's like the same thing with Frankenstein is like I've read Frankenstein and I think to this day with all the different adaptations that have done uh that have been done in Hollywood they still haven't really done that book justice either yeah and and you know it it just becomes they're very they're very lengthy though are they not like i because i feel there's a movie that came out this year called like the last voyage of demeter and apparently that entire movie is based on like a chapter from the dracula book yeah i heard that (laughs) i don't know about that book uh frankenstein's not particularly long okay it's it feels like frankenstein's got into so many activities that i just assume there must be so much to pull from that book or something but i mean it's it's a great idea a guy that makes a a creature from an amalgamation of people like there's just certain ideas where i do get why we keep returning to them yeah it's like there's yeah. part of me that's like we need to start we need to invent new things but then there's part of me it's like how much better can you get than a vampire it's the perfect <laughs> it's the perfect creature 
Like we we did it. We nailed it. Like vampires are it's a, we're never going to do any better as far as like all the stuff that we associate with them and just the sexiness of a vampire but also the metaphor of being a vampire. It's just like we we can't beat it. <laughs> we figured it out. <laughs> so I don't know. I kind of seesaw back and forth on those cuz like sometimes when I'm coming up with movies uh, ideas i'll be like maybe i should try to invent something and then sometimes i'll be like ah fuck it they're zombies like right <laughs> so like, zombies it's like we did it we like if they're if you want a horde of things doesn't get much better than zombies <laughs> <laughs> so i don't know but it's also like does feel like we're in a rut where we just keep remaking the same thing over and over and over again so i don't know i do love the thing where it's like like how do you kill a vampire uh, it's like, well, garlic, steaks, sunlight. No, you can kill a vampire any way you want. They're not real. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why I always, like, I'm not a Twilight defender, but I've always kind of, I always kind of eye roll when people get mad about how vampires work in that universe. I'm like, vampires aren't real. Yeah. <laughs> like, you can do whatever you want with them. If, if you want them to sparkle in the sunlight, they can. It's fine. They're, 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 not, they're not a real creature. <laughs> it, it's a very strange choice. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's, it's a very... Uh, uh, I remember like the first time I heard it, I was kind of blown away of like, wh 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 what? <laughs> but why? Like, wh why? <laughs> like, what, what is this? What what are we doing? I don't get it. <laughs> and like, I, and it, it's like, I'm like, no, don't, you know, and like, I was like, I think at that point, whoever was telling me about this tried to explain it. And I was kind of like, no, don't explain it to me. Like, th th there's no justification that is actually going to be acceptable <laughs> to me for this nonsense. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because it, it ends up becoming a major plot point in the second one, too. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to, I, I got lost in my notes. Like, I have a note here that's just making fun of. Kirsty making out with her boyfriend in that dingy alley because the alley's just so gnarly looking i just was like joking right. at the time when i was watching the movie i was just like yes kiss me in this dirty alley uh just just that's what makes it hot <laughs> yeah i guess well there's it was like <laughs> we're not that deep into the movie at that point and i was like oh is there gonna be some again i'm like looking for parallels i'm like is Kirsty gonna be exploring her sexual relationship with her right, boyfriend right, in parallel right. with all this crazy shit that's going on but Again, and then again, opportunities <laughs> that are just not utilized at all. Yeah, it's like it'd be interesting if there was like a nastier side to her that was just like her boy, like her boyfriend yeah. tries to take it to the bedroom, and she's like, "No, let's keep it right here on the kitchen counter." I feel, I feel like that goes a long way in a movie like this. Like if you just little hints that maybe there's like a side to her that right. could like get potentially wrapped up in this bullshit, but it's it's not that big of a deal, but. It's just thoughts I was having. The dingy alley. The alley's just, it's so gross. Like, uh, it, the walls literally look like they've had shit smeared on them. Um, also, you know, speaking of her relationship with her boyfriend, she has this crazy-ass dream, which is great. You hear, like, this baby crying, which is, like, one of the worst noises in the world. So, you know, kudos to them for, like, tapping into that. And you see this sort of, like, mummy-looking thing. And the great practical effects where, like, the blood is starting to, like, soak through the bandages or whatever and there's like feathers everywhere and and then it like sits up and it's like her dad and she wakes up and i don't know if you noticed this but she's like in bed and her boyfriend's like in an a 
adjacent bed or something like he's like on the floor and i was like what the fuck is this sleeping situation like <laughs> it just made me laugh because i was like what's going on are they not together like what why is, what is this because he like comes up off the floor because she's screaming and he's like what what and she's like sweaty again love the sweat and she's like I had a bad dream uh, and i was like Wait, what's going on here? <laughs> oh, yeah. Now that you've mentioned that, like, I, I I don't think that quite registered with me that you're talking about it. I'm like, uh, you, I kind of remember that. It made, uh, it made me giggle. I don't know. Like, I, I hate to say this because, like, I'm not docking the movie for this, but I, yeah, get, I, re- I do actually remember that being like, like, I feel like the way the maybe the, the camera angles or whatever in that that particular moment, like where he's looking over her. I remember that being a little bit awkward. Yeah. Just the way it was shot. Uh. Yeah, props to her a pretty uh funny bit here where she like calls the house and her dad who uh is like they were hosting a dinner and the dad got like drunk and i, I do think actually I, pro- I think i skipped over something really important uh they were having they were having dinner which i love that the dad was holding court and being like this doctor didn't even know what he was doing and the, the his the family and friends are drinking and laughing and having a good time julia excuses herself i think this is when she goes upstairs and sees Frank for the first time, like while this is all going on. So just worth mentioning, uh, <laughs> crypt keeper, crypt keeper, crypt keeper, uh, Frank is in the mix now. Uh, he basically is like, Julia, don't look at me. You need to get me more blood. And she's like, she doesn't really say one way or the other. She, it's, it's kind of funny how it's paced because she doesn't really say anything. Leaves, sort of like looks at Kirsty comes back and he's like you'll do it she's like yeah uh so and and we've been getting maybe i think we've gotten a flashback or something sort of establishing that she well here's another i don't know that makes me think of of the the don't look at me part makes me think of like like the there's the uh like greek or roman myth about uh psyche and and either eros or cupid depending on the greek or roman version of it and it's like psyche's like a human i think or or immortal or something like that and then like Eros or Cupid's like the god of love, but it's like, you know, because they're not, you know, the Greek or Roman gods, they're kind of just like normal people that apparently live forever or whatever and can kind of do whatever way they want and without any consequences. Yeah. But like he's, it's totally immature, like, uh, 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 what's the word? Uh, <laughs> self-conscious. Oh, sure. So, so he's like this very self-conscious like like about his looks or whatever, and and he's like, "Don't look at me." He's like, "You can stay here, and and I will give you all the things that you want, and I will make this place a paradise, but you can never look at me." Yeah, and like, you know, I thought there's, you know, probably something that that's like, you know, Clive Barker's like hinting about that and about the way that you can sort of get infatuated with uh, somebody when you don't maybe see them for who they are. Mm, yeah. Um, I mean, I do think that, or, or, you know, and it, it go again, it's going back to like that idea of lust and there's a, there's a power imbalance in the relationship. Uh, yeah. I know, mean, so it, it's, like it's clear from the jump, even from the flashbacks that, cause like I said, like they, they sleep together and then Frank just kind of gets up and goes to leave. Like it's not enough. Uh, there's never been a moment where it felt like Frank had any feelings for Julia at all. She's the one with the feelings, and he's just a complete manipulator and abuser. I really like you pointing out the uh, symbolism of him saying, like, don't look at me, uh, or it's just like he's been laid. Like, it's like uh, he looks 
currently in this like grotesque form how he should look in terms of who he is as a person uh, and he's like <laughs> right. no you can only see me when i'm hot uh and so yeah and i guess there is something very metaphorical about the fact that he ends up taking her husband's face at some point yeah uh, but well, and I, I don't know like i, I don't feel maybe the same way as you do is like i i don't feel so much that julia is really being manipulated but well, i think she's being manipulated in the sense that frank is not reciprocating any of these feelings but but he's like promising her the world and like we'll run away and be together like he doesn't give a shit about, yeah I, uh, that's that's fair like <laughs> i definitely got that sense of like he, he's like maybe gonna make good on those promises like 30 yeah, percent he's, he's like he's, he's purely using her and she's like letting herself be used and again it's right. like i think that if they leaned harder and the frank is giving her like these insane sexual escapades that we weren't uh, it's like well i mean i, I think you kind of have to have a scene where her and larry have sex and it's like unsatisfying for her yeah uh, i agree yeah absolutely <laughs> and then yeah like you were talking about earlier just like have a couple scenes or at least a couple like little momentary flashes to get the sense of like, you know, her and Frank are getting into some pretty uh intense like S and M or bondage or well, whatever. And, like at some like, point she puts escalates. his she puts his gross like fleshless finger into her mouth at one point. Like right. she's obviously got some crazy shit going on. Like, but it's just like it doesn't lean hard enough into it, I think. But he does she does agree to get him more blood which you know, that also right. was funny to me is like a, a cut on a guy's finger was enough to like bring you back from uh death but the movie logic just takes it to a whole <laughs> other level where she's just fully killing people at this point but she yeah. she goes to a bar seduces a man uh this is one of the more amusing parts of the movie for me uh because the pacing of this chunk is really good because it shows you like all the mechanics of this first seduction to kill chunk and then it sort of like speeds up some of the other ones because like we know what's ha going on at this time. But I love that it takes the time to have the awkwardness of her bringing the guy in and the guy being kind of weirded out. It's like a, kind of a fun moment where he's kissing her and she's mm -hmm. like really not into it. He's like, what are you going to take it fucking back? And he's like, I'm sorry, sorry. And you're just like, oh, this guy's like kind of a, yeah, he is a scumbag, of course. <laughs> but uh, my, my highlight is just that in having put myself in some maybe not so great positions two i just love the movie is i don't think it's trying to be a commentary on how far men will go just to have sex but the amount of red flags this guy just zooms past uh in terms of what's going on in this situation just because he thinks there might be a chance he's getting laid is very funny to me yeah like her well, i think it does it fits so, <laughs> like that's one of the things that fits really nicely with like some of the thematic material of the movie is like Again, it's not, you know, the movie's very sort of vague and the themes aren't don't quite coalesce, but, you know, one of it is, is, is that desire, like desire and lust is, there's like, there's a dangerous side of that. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, so that's, I think, one of the places where the themes actually come through really clearly is that, you know, these men are lured to their deaths because they're trying to get off, you know? Yeah. And, and, just, and again, I was, it was like giving me flashbacks to like, I have like a very vivid memory of like picking a couple girls up when I was like in high school and like we were hanging out, but then it turned out that they hadn't told their parents that they were leaving. And 
so they get this angry call and i drive them back and like their dad came like sprinting out to my car and like threw open my uh passenger door and started screaming at me like who do you think you are well i was just like <laughs> so i didn't know i didn't know i just thought i was like gonna get to kiss a girl tonight i'm sorry like i didn't know i was like gonna have a full-grown man try to beat the shit out of me like and i've certainly had other situations where uh but it's just like we talked about how decrepit and gross this attic is and this guy's he's like there's no bed she's like i like it on the floor i love the way julia is playing this too she's so awkward and like bad at covering up and again this guy's just doesn't matter gonna get my dick wet like just starts taking his pants off like there's mold on the door like there's no way you don't hear the rats just squeaking <laughs> like it's so crazy and then uh pretty pretty great first kill here with the hammer i think like his jaw gets all out of line because she like cracks him across the chin and it it, it looks fucking gruesome uh and pro probably the most uh terrifying thing at all is like i don't think i'd realized how not fully formed frank was yet and when he comes like scrabbling out of the shadows to like leap on the body it's like very like uh, that's a not quite a jump scare but i was just like jesus christ like the way he was like moving i was like whoa this is gnarly and he's like get out of here <laughs> uh and she's like again good acting from claire hickens where she's like proper shooken up by this but we actually spend some time with her like cleaning the blood off and stuff and you see her start to kind of weirdly make peace with it and yeah. it's it's all on her face it's really well done i think yeah that's a good point yeah <laughs> you just watch her cleaning the blood off and because i think she uh first is like kind of freaked out but then it becomes almost erotic to a certain extent right. and i, I want to say she maybe goes back in the room to like look at it and stuff and she definitely is the subsequent kills are certainly a lot easier for her uh weirdly it was making me think of true romance you know that scene where uh james gandolfini is like beating up patricia arquette he's like he's like yeah. he's like first kill that's the that's that's the hard one that's the real bitch of the bunch uh you know but it's like the second time a little tough the third one it really smooths out uh <laughs> it's like uh I, I was thinking about that scene because i was just like oh maybe she's just you know she's falling deeper down the dark rabbit hole uh, and again, I think she's probably one of the yeah. more interesting, complicated characters of, of the movie. <laughs> right. Well, again, that's something, you know, that's, that the movie is playing with, again, that it doesn't really develop. But, like, there, it's there, again, just like, you know, the, the breadcrumbs of it are there. Of Like, you know, when you're chasing something, you know, if, like some experience, it's like you always want, you know, more. It's like if you're, you know, uh, uh, you know, mountain climber you want to climb the higher mountain sure you know? yeah. it's like and, and i remember like you know being in high school and like uh you know i'm into heavy metal and it's like you, you know you start off like ozzy osbourne and black sabbath and then it's like you know maybe like slayer or something like that and then it's like death metal and and you know it's like, like more and more and like too i hear the same thing about like you know whenever i hear like uh you know journalists or whatever or or, or people that are researchers are like like doing in pornography and they talk about you know kind of starts off with people like watching normal stuff but because like you know everything's sort of accessible now with the internet it's like people are like oh let's find all the weird shit and yeah like pushing <laughs> and you know and it's just like pushing taboos and, and then stuff you're like, like that. Uh, you get into that and then it's like that you know there's just a rabbit hole well it's like there. i mean so it's like you know and i think that is 
it's it's kind of you know there's there's something that's you know that's scary for for that character when you know I, you know luring a man to his death and then killing him but it's you know the, there's something where she's you know again chasing some sort of experience because yeah. she feels again you know that's implied she's not satisfied with her marriage and she's wanting something more and she's wanting something more intense yeah very much so i, I think that uh you know i it's, it's why i the movie works really well on like a metaphorical level of like almost killing and sex is like a, a high that they're chasing like a drug to a certain extent and it's it is very funny to like bring up like pornography too is or it's just like like step sibling stuff has become so pervasive that it's like a punchline for like i feel like i can make like a step bro joke to almost anybody and we would all like get the reference and that actually saying that out loud right now makes me be like oh shit like we're really yeah. through the looking glass on this one uh did you, did you ever watch like shameless yeah uh there's like a character named jody in the show and you eventually find out that he had like a really bad sex addiction and that he's he's with Joan Cusack's character and she wants to spice things up and he's like, can't spice things up with me because then I just go off the rails. And there's like a whole subplot for a few episodes where he has like a line, like I'm not going to repeat it, but he, he says like a pretty insane thing. He's like, soon it gets to be like this... I, has to be happening for me to even get off and stuff. And he's just like, this is what I become. And, uh, it, and it feels like this movie is sort of playing with some of those elements, but yeah. again, it's, it, it's not allowed to be as explicit as it kind of needs to be to get some of those ideas fully across. But again, I, I really right. like, uh, that's why I just want to highlight Claire Hickens like performance. Cause her face is doing a lot of heavy lifting for some of the transitionary things that are happening in this movie. Uh, I think there's like a chunk here where she, her husband almost catches her bloody and she says she's sick and he's like super nice about it. It's, it's very funny, <laughs> but, uh, there's like a, we, we get some more kills. Uh, I think I have a note here that says something like, cause at some point, like after this second body, Frank turns into like, he's got a more fully formed figure, but it's like his muscles and stuff are kind of exposed. I think he has a line. Mm -hmm. There's a good sort of nods of what the movie's playing with he's like my nerves i can feel again and i was like yeah, oh shit yeah. like that's like that feels like a really good touch uh like the senses that he mentions are are really good ones to touch he's like and then can, of course he's smoking a cigarette too so it's yeah he's like <laughs> i can i can taste that uh but i have a note that's like i think frank could help at this point during like the second kill and then frank actually does jump in and finish it off and i was like okay cool because I, I was like i was like he is he is ambulatory at this point i think <laughs> i think she doesn't have to fully do these murders uh <laughs> but yeah frank finally gets involved there's a speaking of frank being involved there uh there's like a really good scene where her and larry are watching boxing and he's like oh sorry honey i know you don't really like this stuff but she's like kind of into it and then uh she goes upstairs though they hear some like clattering i did not understand what was going on here actually where they're watching boxing and Frank's up in the attic and he just goes and he's like slamming on the walls. And I was like, what's, what's, what's happening here? Like, what is he, is he feeling like maybe the, the nerves are coming back. So he's in pain or something. Yeah. I don't know. I, didn't I, I did not really either. understand why he was thrashing around up there. Uh, but when she, Larry's 
she tries to seduce Larry to get him to not go up there. And Larry, who presumably is in a marriage where he's not boning down with his wife very much, snubs her in favor of going to check out the noise, which I was like, what the <laughs> fuck, Larry? Uh, uh, but Frank's not up there, so you're like, oh shit, where's Frank? Uh, but Larry's been switched on at this point, so they start to kind of get down, and there's a really good scene here where Frank is in the fucking closet, and he comes out with a knife while Larry is trying to, you know, get it in, and she's like, no! No, don't, no, which this her nose going for way too long in terms of like Larry does seem to be a nice guy, but just the way the scene's paced, I'm like, I think on the first no, you kind of stop at that point, right? Uh, right, but, but but it's there's an interesting dynamic where she does she really doesn't want to give up Larry though, she still has like feelings for him, or maybe there's part of her soul still intact and she knows he's a good guy and it's easier to disassociate with some of these strangers as opposed to like a man she knows is like a good man. Uh, but Larry's like, geez, you're hot, you're cold. But I have to highlight this one moment though, where Frank is holding a rat and he just like, for some reason, like cuts the rat in half and then just like kind of peels the insides of the rat out while he's staring at her. And then he just kind of walks away. I was like, what the fuck was that? Like, it was gnarly, <laughs> but I didn't right. understand. No, I had the, I had the same reaction. Like, why? What? <laughs> real, How is this in the movie? Real boner killer. Uh, it's pretty funny because uh, Kirstie's still worried. I don't know if she, I can't remember if she's worried about Larry or if she's just going around the house. But, of course, she sees Julia luring a guy in, and it just, of course, looks like she's cheating on her dad so she does the thing that everyone in horror movies does is just goes into the house uh, instead of like doing several other things that probably would have been more advisable uh, <laughs> but uh kind of interesting i i thought for sure there was going to be a little bit more i thought it'd be a little bit more time before she discovered what was really going on but she kind of just goes up there catches julia murdering the guy and sees frank and then frank comes running out it's like it's me it's your uncle frank uh, i don't know why he turned into the bad guy from men in black there for a <laughs> second <laughs> sugar and water uh <laughs> uh but come to daddy uh and she 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 bails which is good for her she <laughs> she does the smart thing although yeah i think this is the part where like Julia shoves her, I think, into the room with Frank, and for some reason, Kirsty scoops the puzzle box. She sees it, and Frank's like, "Don't touch that!" And she's like, "Nah!" And she like runs out, or no, right. she throws it well, out the window. Right. Well, it looks like <laughs> she she grabbed it. She just because she wanted something to throw at him, and it was like on the floor. Yeah. And then as soon as she picked it up. He, she saw his reaction and cause he's like, no, don't leave it alone or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, so she's checking that that's the situation. And then she's like, well, I'll just throw it out the fucking window and I'll, <laughs> you know, distract you long enough to run out the door. Yeah. But then she scoops then she, it. Yeah. Then she grabs it up. I was like, I just was, I couldn't, again, I feel like I'm, I'm noting this movie to death, but I just couldn't help but feel like there's a more organic way for, her to get the puzzle box but but it's, right. it's fine i guess it well it, it too it's just a shame that they didn't do more with her character to you know yeah uh, something to the point where you know all right 
give her some some like interest in in I don't know some whether it's an interest in the occult, whether it's a you know fascination with they, puzzles. They try to they try know. to throw like one little bit at the beginning when there's all that creepy shit. The you her dad goes, oh, Kirsty needs to see this. She loves this stuff. And there's oh, a yeah, there's yeah. a moment where you see some of the occult stuff outside the house. I'd forgotten all about this, and she clocks it and kind of smirks like she is into that. But they don't do anything with that whatsoever. Right. Uh, in fact, she's running with the puzzle box and passes out. <laughs> really funny, like trunk shot of like mm-hmm. these three people just sort of leering over her, like uh, just a very eclectic group of people too. She wakes up at like. The hospital, I guess, the the dingiest, scariest looking hospital <laughs> of all time. This room they've got her in is is horrifying. Uh and this doctor is very aggressive with her. <laughs> he's just like, You remember who you are? You have this box on you. And she's like, I need to call my dad. And he's like, Don't worry about that. Get into bed. I was like, What the fuck is going on? Uh and Right. Well, yeah, that scene is so awkward as far as like, what is the motivation of the doctor and the nurse in this scene? And it's like, it, 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 you know, they play it out like, like, oh, we need to, you know, make sure you're okay. And then they don't make sure that, you know, that they're not like, oh, we need to take a blood pressure, well, you know, do any sort of thing. Yeah. And it's like, what? It, the the, 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 scene, the very... scene literally exists for him to slam the puzzle box on her bedside table and for her to be like, oh, what's this? And she, opens it and we get for my money one of the scariest parts of the movie where she's in the hallway this this demon that's chasing her is fucking terrifying uh just like with the anus head mouth and it's just floating after her and i was just like jesus this is scary uh she manages to get away and shut the thing up but i was like oh god that was that was kind of fucked that was actually one of the the effects where it's like i I just wasn't sold on it it's cheesy it's it's very cheesy you know it's really i don't know it's it's like they do a good job with some of the other, you know, effects, especially the um uh the the sort of rebirth scene mm-hmm. where like you know, it doesn't quite look alive, but it's like it, it that sense is there where it's like, you know, you look at this thing and it's you know, more clearly a pup. It just doesn't there's not enough sort of nuanced movement that to really sell the effect. Yeah, I, it looked very uh, stop motiony, almost like they did some like compositing, and it didn't quite come together the way it needed to. Because it, it almost doesn't feel like I, I don't know. You're, you're right. I, there's something really awkward about the monster, but the design of the monster itself was very like creepy to me. Yeah. Um. But unfortunately, she's opened the puzzle box at this point. We finally get the arrival of our of our heroes of the movie. As I like to call them, uh, the Cenobites, we, we meet them, uh, Chatterer makes, uh, very little time between grabbing Kirsty and getting all up in that, uh, Penhead, I think he's got some of his grandiose, uh, statements, I think here, cause like she's being held and he's like, we've come for you. We are interdimensional. We want your soul. And she's like, no, wait, Frank, you're looking for Frank. There's a funny exchange where she's like he got away and he's like, no one gets away from us. And she's like, I know where he is. It's like, looks like somebody got away from you. <laughs> uh, but you know, props to Kirsty. Uh, uh, she's like my shitty uncle Frank, like you want him, right? Well, a good, good moment though. Cause Pinhead's basically like, she's like, I'll try, I'll trade him for me. Right. It's fine. He's like, 
we'll see. I like how he's kind of upfront about like, no, we're still going to fucking get you too. <laughs> uh, just, it was kind of just a funny moment, but there's a, another funny thing here where Julia's like, we need to go. Like, this is bad. She's got the puzzle box. Like, uh, we should just fucking get out of here. They'll never find us, which I was like, okay, cool. Uh, but I, I, my note here is just like, just leave Frank. What the fuck is going on? And he like refuses to leave, which, at the end of the movie, when he gets like recaptured, there's something he's almost like smiling about it where, so it's like, I don't know if there's like some sort of self-destructive thing inside of him. That's not letting him leave. Or if it is just plot contrivance, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, fair question, I guess. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, I'm like, you're, I'm like, you can walk around Frank, just put a hat on and go somewhere else. And Julia, cause the puzzle box isn't what was, keeping him alive as far as i can tell right like it was the it was the blood of the people that was bringing him back so go anywhere else and go get some more blood and become whole like i just don't understand uh yeah my note here says absolute dipshittery uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh but we get like a i think larry comes home and there's kind of like a uh, come to jesus moment here for julia where she makes the call i think it's some very confusing editing because you see her having sex with what looks like Larry. Mm -hmm. So I was like, she was just with Frank. She seems on board with like maybe giving Larry to Frank, but then we cut to Larry having sex with him. And then it retroactively kind of makes sense. Cause like Frank, they killed Larry, Frank peeled Larry's skin off of him and put it on somehow. Right. I don't know how, but <laughs> uh, when you're halfway <laughs> ghost, halfway flesh, without skin you can just do that sort of thing yeah yeah he's like a demon or whatever but i guess julia finally gets the bone down with frank so that's nice for her but kirsty shows up she's you know proper fucked up from her cenobite encounter she's so fucked up she doesn't notice that her dad clearly has a fake face plastered on with blood coming out of his scalp but um, I, I, I made myself giggle with this note here where it's like dad what a crazy scalp you have. Dad, what a sinister vibe you have <laughs> in, in the style of Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he goes, he's like, we we killed Frank. It's fine. She's like, what? No. I, if I was her, I'd be freaking out a little bit more because I'd be like, shit, no, I need to trade him. Like, you can't <laughs> kill Frank. But she goes up and there's just a pile of bones and she's like, oh, shit. Uh, let's see here. Uh, I don't even remember how this all comes together. I think the Cenobites show up and they seem to know that the body on the floor is not, there's some like bullshit line that gets thrown out at some point where Pinhead has, says like, he had to say it was him for us to take him, which I was like, okay, where, where was that in the, in the, in the contract? But whatever. <laughs> cause, cause like they know that they basically know that Larry is Frank. Uh, like, well, what they do, they show up and they're like, we want the, whoever did this yeah right and she's like what and she like goes to flee and it's like amidst her fleeing frank says the come to daddy thing and she realizes that it's frank not her dad finally uh she tries to run i think she scuffles with julia but julia grabs her it's a really funny moment here where frank pulls his handy dandy switchblade out which he has had a lot and he goes to stab kirsty it's a little confusing what's happening here because she dodges to the side and he stabs Julia 
But when he stabs Julia, he almost acts like he meant to do it. So I don't really know what was going on here. I did laugh out loud when he starts to stab Julia. She yells out, not me, <laughs> uh, which is a very funny thing to yell when you're being stabbed. <laughs> I had that in all caps because it was just funny. I, it, made, it made me giggle. Uh, Frank is basically gives up the ghost at this point where he's just like, yeah, we were never going to be together. And he like sucks her blood out of her <laughs> neck somehow. I, I think it's trying to imply that he's going to take, he's more interested in fucking Kirsty now than he is in fucking Julia. But that never really goes anywhere either. Probably for the best. <laughs> it, it, it felt like that's what the movie was trying to imply though. Cause he's like, ah, fuck Julia. I've got Kirsty now. Like, right. uh, new young hotness. But again, it doesn't really do much for that. I, yeah, this is the moment where, uh, I wrote the note. Am I rooting for the Cenobites? Cause, cause at, at this point in terms of the plot of the movie, Kirsty's kind of up against it with Frank. And if you're rooting for Kirsty to live, what you're rooting for is the, for the Cenobites to just grab Frank. And so I was like, are the Cenobites the good guys? Like, <laughs> uh, my head was like all twisted around at this point. They'll, they'll, they'll get a proper here. He'll turn here in a second, but she hides in a closet. Honestly, uh, as far as final girl status goes, she gains a lot of brownie points here for knocking into one of the dead bodies and having maggots spill all over her and not screaming. I was like, Hey, <laughs> I was like, you know, good for you. Like your life depended on you not screaming. And she, I, w I don't think I could have kept my shit together. Like if, if, <laughs> if maggots spilled all over me, that would fuck me up, dude. Uh, <laughs> uh, but also, you know, the fact that she was clattering around in there in the first place was kind of insane. Uh, you know what? That is, that is one of the only jump scares in the movie is she knocks into something in a statue of Jesus comes thrusting out and she like jumps and I, and I think I remember being like, Whoa, the fuck yeah. was that? Uh, okay. <laughs> Cause it takes a second to even realize what it is. Uh, but she, I, this is one of the most confusing parts of the movie. She, Frank gives up looking in there and goes into the other room, the big attic area, right? Kirsty comes out, stands at the top of the stairs and instead of just leaving, just stands there and starts crying. And I was like, what is happening? And I think the movie retroactively by having the Cenobites be like, he had to admit it was him. I think she was honey trapping Frank, but if she was, I don't understand why she was hiding. And then she comes out. I don't know what's going on here in this chunk. Like maybe I, do you mm. think I'm crazy or No, I'm not I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. It was a bit messy. <laughs> uh, cuz like he pulls her into the attic area, but then he's like it's me, it's Frank, it's your uncle Frank, everything's fine and then Penhead and the rest show up and he like tries to get Kirsty and like as he's about to get her the hook grabs his arm. He's like yeah. and he like gets pulled back and we get like a uh, him being like flayed alive. I think this is where it like does this big wide shot on him, like with his skin ripped off, and he's like, Jesus wept, and it's like, Bruh! and like, I think right. it, we see him start to get fully pulled apart as she like exits the room. Yeah, it's, it's pretty grotesque. Uh, she stays for a lot longer than anybody probably ever should have, like, <laughs> and watches it. Uh, <laughs> like, I feel like 
one of the stunner might bites. Might be just one of those things like, yeah, maybe I should stay and just see this thing through. I, but I, <laughs> I think literally one of the Cenobites says something like, this is not for your eyes to see or something like that. Like, uh, I think they yeah. genuinely tell her to leave and she still just stands there like an asshole. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but then she tries to leave. And then the hook mouth Cenobite's like, actually, just kidding. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna do you too, which is you know you know scary. Uh, there's like smoke everywhere now for some reason. The whole house has become possessed at this point. I don't know if there's just portals opening everywhere or what's going on, but uh, Kirsty manages to put the puzzle together, uh, pun intended, uh, and reverse the puzzle and. Every time she like solves one section of the puzzle, it seems to conveniently send away whatever Cenobite is currently attacking her. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little weird. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about this ending, honestly. <laughs> I, I love the too. I love the 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 visual of the puzzle box. I think it's it's just beautiful looking. The actual physical I, puzzle box yeah, is great. It looks fantastic. I like the way that it moves, but. It, it is weird, like, it, it's like, what what does it mean to even solve, like, I don't, it's not clear, like, what the, what it means to solve the puzzle box, or, like, yeah. you know, it's it's really unclear, like, how, you know, it, it, it moves. Um, it almost feels or, like it's or, less tied to door, he's like, because at one point, Frank's like, it opens doors, but it seems like it just summons the same five people every right. time, because... <laughs> Because she accidentally summons the weird hallway monster at the end too, and I was like, "So is this? Is he just hanging out in this hallway?" And th that, it, 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 I'm not asking the movie to like have a scientist explain every chunk of the puzzle. It's fine that it's esoteric. I, 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 I'm being just pedantic for the sake of humor at this point, but it is a little like it feels lackluster because it doesn't feel like our would-be protagonist is doing anything that was like born out of their character you know it just right. seems like she's arbitrarily figured out oh i can just reverse do this puzzle and maybe i'll be safe it doesn't have anything to do with any of the things that have been set up in the movie or set up about her character she's not like a puzzle fiend right or something and again maybe that's too on the nose but she's not anything there's nothing about her character so it doesn't feel satisfying when she's banishing all these guys to me, at least. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and and the and the lightning effects are, I mean, they're not great. They're charming though, but they're they're a little wonky. And yeah, like, not for, great for how good some of the practical effects in the movie are. It is a little jarring to see like the red lightning particle effects because they just that those don't age very well. <laughs> uh, I guess. Uh, um... Those were sort of last minute things where like they wanted, I don't know what they wanted to do, but like there wasn't, they ran out of money and like, I guess, you know, maybe Clive Barker even like did that stuff himself. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> so. it's, it's it's not the worst thing I've ever seen. Right. But yeah. I it's, mean, it's, considering it's, it's sort of a last minute, it's like, it, it's just, too, it's just not like, not out of the norm for like 80s movies. It's so 80s. Like. Uh, all you'd have to do is show me one tiny clip of any of the lighting effects in this movie. I'd be like, 80s. It's so like Highlander. Yeah. Uh, there's just something about that particular s s strobing lighting effect that was in so many of those movies. It, and again, I, I think I'd be less charmed by it if it wasn't so nostalgic for 
anytime I ever watched something in the eighties that had something like that. Cause it, it's like, it objectively is very poorly done. Uh, cause it, it almost takes you out of the movie because it's so goofily plastered on there, but it's charming. So I'm, I'm willing to roll with it. But it, also, yeah, her boyfriend has shown up at this point, I guess. Uh, he's just there now while the house collapses in on him. <laughs> uh, they do escape and she takes a mystical interdimensional puzzle box, which probably would be incredibly hard to destroy uh, and just chucks it in a little, a little, a little garbage fire thinking that, that that'll, that'll solve that. Uh, which right. <laughs> again, I, 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 I'm not trying to be insulting to the movie. And if anyone like really loves this movie and is truly like frightened by it, like, me saying certain parts made me giggle. I'm not. I'm not trying to be mean, but I giggled when she, when she just went and like put it in the fire. Which also, where the fuck are they? Like where these fires are happening? Like I didn't know if right. it was meant to be the remains of the house or something, and the house had burned down, or if they just found a random field with just loose fires in it, or or well, they just went camping. <laughs> <laughs> the, this chunk almost looked like a reshoot to me. To be honest with you. Like it felt mm. like the movie was over, yeah. And then they were like, "Actually, we need to set up a potential sequel." So she like dumps the cube in the fire, and then this. But the, I mean, they they've been teasing the homeless man throughout the movie, so just really hilarious. Just this this houseless guy who was eating locusts in the pet shop and following her around earlier just walks up, like doesn't break eye contact with her, leans into the fire, picks up the cube. <clears throat> he lights on fire, turns into a bone demon, flies away, and then the final scene of the movie is the right where we started, where the guy that sold the cube in the first place is now selling it to another guy, and then the movie ends. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Like, I get that they made a million more of these, so it makes sense that they sequel bait, but it was very funny. <laughs> like, very funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, the, I wanted to hit some of those beats cause it's a very amusing movie to watch. Uh, I didn't mean to get so in the weeds on it, but it's, it's just, it's just a, it's a fun movie to talk about, I think. <laughs> right. Well, it, it's one of those movies, at least for me. And I think this is probably the case for a lot of other people where, you know, the, all of that messiness, like after it's been a while since you've seen it, like you remember, like, you know, the iconic, like you know, uh, the rebirth scene and you remember Pinhead and, and, and that just actors like, you know, pitch perfect delivery. And you remember, um, you know, just some of these, these, the, the, uh, Gothic elements of it. And you don't really remember, remember like how messy the plot was, how sure. Kirsty is just not developed as a character at all. And especially after you see the second one, because she's in the second one more. Yeah. Um, and and you know that's one of the things like rewatching this. I was like, Jesus, they really they don't give her anything to do in the first like two thirds of the movie, and then even when she does have something to do in the last bit, it's like they she's not a developed character that has anything interesting going on. Yeah, I I can't imagine. I tried to imagine like reading the script for this and being like. I feel like I'd be like Clive. Uh, this doesn't make any sense, dude. Like, but I I still find the movie very compelling to watch. And to be honest, like as far as like dipping a toe into infamous horror franchises, this is probably one of the more memorable experiences. Like, I really like like 
I really enjoyed watching the first Friday the 13th movie and the first like Freddy movie because they're very atmospheric and stuff. And I have a very special place in my heart for the Friday the 13th franchise in general because those are like my go to just turn your fucking brain off and enjoy <laughs> some dumb shit movies because there's fucking 12 of them and the plot of every single one is the same. And the amusement is just meeting this weird eclectic cast of characters that's going to be murdered. And some of the movies are better than others. And some of the movies have funner characters than others. Uh, this was a pleasant surprise because I wasn't expecting about how psychological and twisty it would be. There were some big surprises in terms of Pinhead, while not being held up as one of the most iconic, like, you know, creature horror figureheads in horror in general is still very memorable and very up there and it's funny to think like oh he's actually all in like 10 minutes of this movie <laughs> which by the way the movie's mercifully like uh like 90 minutes on the dot which we always love to see uh every movie i feel like i cover that's like is just always like arbitrarily two hours for no reason and in my note for almost every two hour movie is it could have been it could have been 100 minutes like without losing anything <laughs> so it's nice to watch a movie like this that is just 90 minutes and yes this is i'd rather be in the boat of wishing there was more like sadomasochistic sex scenes and that the movie was like 10 minutes longer than the movie being two hours and just being endless scenes of like julia romping around in the bathtub and like luring people to be killed over and over it's like nope we got the point they got to the point it's fine uh, but yeah, I don't know. Do you have any like big final thoughts as far as the movie goes and anything that you had on your docket of like, Oh, we need to make sure we hit this before we wrap and give ratings and do all that good stuff. Um, no, not really. I think it kind of that, you know, good movie, messy plot and you writing. I guess it's weird too, to think about like, you know, how messy the writing is for this. And it's like, you know, Clive Barker is a, was a, you know, wrote books or short story and or short stories or whatever, right? Before doing movies, mm -hmm. I think, um, or at least like he was doing that at the same time, like in the eighties when he was, you know, started yeah, working on I movies. Didn't, I didn't do a great job deep diving, but I believe that this movie is, it's like he wrote the book and then they were going to do the movie. And then they, he was like someone, either someone asked him or he asked like, could I like direct this movie? And they were like, "Ah, sure, fuck it, why not?" Here's so the... I, I, one of the YouTube's I watched was talking about that he had he had written two scripts that were made before uh, Hellraiser, and they were, I guess, both awful movies. <laughs> and so he was kind of dead set on directing it himself and be like, "I can." definitely make a better movie than these yahoos who took my scripts and butchered them or whatever <laughs> i mean it sounds like and, he wasn't wrong <laughs> yeah fair enough uh you know but at the same point in time it's like it the, the script is not that strong here and and yeah like it just it, I, I feel like you know you think about about people that are writing books and i i mean it's it is a very different medium than uh, movies and there are certain things like structurally that you can sort of get away with in a novel that you just can't do in a movie yeah um but at the same point in time it's like you usually f assume that a book is going to have 
you know, more developed character or that a, a writer, a writer who writes novels is going to be thinking a lot more about, uh, you know, character development and some of these things that just don't seem to be at all, all a priority in this movie. Yeah. I think there's something about, it's really, we, we get so many movies that are based on books, but it's really, I really think I've said really like 17 times <laughs> in the last two seconds. Uh, Prose is such a different beast than screenwriting in the visual medium. I have to imagine that in the book version of this, there's a lot of paragraphs dedicated to what's actually going on internally for Julia and what she's thinking and how attracted to Frank she is. And again, there's probably a lot more like sadomasochistic sex in the book. And right. And this, and because it's a movie with no VO, which props to them for not leaning on something like that, that sometimes is like a hack thing that tries to like, bypass certain things the actress is just being asked to sort of try to do all of that but just with her face and she kind of does it but not quite and it's it's just i really do think they're completely different mediums and sometimes they don't fully translate well and sometimes oh oh, and i'm sorry i don't mean to cut you off but it's gonna fleet my head but (laughs) one of my favorite writers of all time is stephen king but i think people have seen his track record as far as like tends to be when Stephen King is more directly involved with a film, those tend to be the shittier adaptations of his work. And when you think about something like Maximum Overdrive, which is admittedly a very fun movie to watch, uh, it's insane to think like Stephen King's like the guy that I read growing up that I felt like I learned character development was a thing where a character starts one way. I'm a writer, but my wife died and I'm really sad about it. And you go on a journey with that character and they come out the other end being like, I have a reason to live again, you know? And yet a lot of his movies are, are bad, <laughs> like, especially when he's directly involved in them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get stuff like Shawshank and the green mile that he barely, they're just like loosely based on a story he wrote. And those are like the good ones. But then you get shit like maximum overdrive. <laughs> and admittedly he was on a pallet of cocaine when he made the movie, but it's just he was still writing good books while he was on cocaine yet somehow when you make the movie i don't know if you just get so enamored with the visual effects and trucks and all the dumb bullshit that you just all the character shit just flies out the window at that point like i I don't know what it is about the transition that so much gets lost in translation (laughs) yeah not to be confused with one of my favorite movies lost in translation (laughs) i was was gonna say too like as as much as um you know you can get away with kind of a certain amount of sloppiness in movies with, you know, building an aesthetic in, you know, in this case or, or with action movies, if you have like, you know, cool, fun, intense action scenes, you know, you, that, that sort of thing can build a lot of, uh, a, a lot with the audience, e- even if kind of the underlying st- story and structure is a little bit lacking and I think you can do that in novels too, if you're just really good at writing prose and just, you know, setting the scene with like, you know, really interesting, uh, uh, evocative kind of sentences. And and I I would imagine too, like, you know, because there is like these little hints about, you know, really con- concepts and ideas that that there there's probably a little like a, a bit of like a philosophical tone. Uh, oh, that that comes through in in his Clive Barker's writing, like when he's in writing in books, that 
just isn't, you know, that you can kind of get a sense of in this movie and in Lord of Illusions, but it's not there. It's not really developed. It's not, you know, it's not commented on in any interesting or meaningful way. And maybe some of that is in the novel or, 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 or maybe, or in his novels. Uh, and maybe, or, or maybe he's raising questions in a more sort of thoughtful way mm-hmm. in his prose than you can, than he does in the uh, scripts. Something else that might seem like a non-factor, but I think actually is somewhat of a factor is it's worth noting that Clive Barker is British and a lot of his novels are set in the UK, like Candyman a movie that feels like one of the most Chicago movies ever made is the book is set in Liverpool. And, oh, interesting. And I have to imagine this movie was for the books probably set. There's like, there's something about culture that subconsciously pervades people's work. And I do tend to find that when some, a transplant tries to make something set in a completely different country, sometimes that actually kind of fucks with, the story a little bit mm. where it's like I feel like if he had just let himself make this more British probably would have had a little more nuance to it in a weird way but there's like something about making it more American that maybe I'm way off base but like I've just seen way too many international directors come over to America and try to make like an English language film Not, I mean obviously he speaks English so it's just English to English but I, I think all the time about I really, really like the movie A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I love that movie. And then she comes over and makes Bad Blood, I think it's called. Uh, and that movie sucks ass. <laughs> and I'm like, she's such a brilliant director. But it was like something about just transplanting to a different like culture. And I don't know, like, it feels like there could have been more nuances and shortcuts if he had just embraced the culture that he knew but by trying to maybe set it in upstate New York, you're losing a lot of flavor Yeah, that he just doesn't have a grasp on, you know? I can uh, see that, sure. And it's interesting to think that someone took one of his stories, Candyman, and set it in Chicago, and a lot of what flavors what Candyman is is the class struggle of Chicago in that time, the the projects versus like the upper class side and that's like what the best part of that movie is. Uh, and so, but he wasn't, he didn't have, it was just based on a story that he wrote. He's not the one that made that movie. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. It reminds me a lot too of like, uh, but then, you know, counterpoint, if I'm arguing against myself here, like you get Neil Gaiman writing something like American gods, but he also wrote that after spending a lot of time in America and like looking at it through a certain lens. And he writes that, the book from the perspective almost of an outsider observing American culture in mm. a way. I don't know if any of it's relevant to Hellraiser, but it just, I think it's just an interesting fact that's like Clive Barker is very British based. And I don't, I wonder if sometimes if something gets a little lost in translation, I don't know if all of his movies are very, it seems like the movie that's sort of at the top of his list. When you pull them up is a movie called Nightbreed. Don't know if it's any good. Yeah, I have not mm-hmm. seen that one. I'm, I'm, it looks like the word cult classic is being thrown around a lot in regards to it, which can be, but sometimes be a good thing, sometimes be a bad thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to have to check it out just because, <laughs> that, you know, it looks like he's really only done 
three movies as a writer director and, and yeah like hellraiser's you know it despite all of its flaws it's still a, a pretty solid movie and you know lord of illusions not quite so much but it's still watchable <laughs> it's not it's not a terrible movie but it it is kind of pretty middling yeah i don't but, know it's like definitely not a bad director do you have a do you have a rating for the film um i think i'd probably do like a seven out of ten maybe if oh, i'm wow. like really in the mood for it maybe an eight just it is a beautiful looking movie and yes it just and it's it's a unique movie um so i think it, I, I would probably give it a seven uh just you know uh, for most other movies that are sort of doing what this movie was, is doing, it, it would probably be like a five or a six, but it's just, again, the aesthetics, the, the, uh, costumes, the, uh, um, production design, just the look of the box and the, the photography and the lighting, like mm -hmm. everything just really looks wonderful. Um, the practical, practical effects. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot to like about this movie, despite all of its many flaws. <laughs> I, I feel like for me, I, I feel like I spent a lot of this episode, like heaping a lot of praise on the movie. And I, I was very pleasantly surprised by watching it. It just is like, it's really well done. It's happens time and time again with this show to where I watch something like pre two thousands. And I'm just like, Oh, how nice to watch something that like is just shot on film and lit. Well, by people who know what they're doing like even the lowest budget crap like just through the sheer uh having to still be able to clear a certain bar to be able to operate the equipment uh level of competency <laughs> that just comes with any movie you watch pretty much because it's just like everyone that made this movie knew what they were doing because they were a craftsman you know and it makes the movie look good you're right it is very well photographed the practical effects are on point for the most part, uh, I hate to dock at points for what I perceive as missed opportunities, but it does hurt a little bit to watch this movie and just feel like there was much more potential in the subject matter that could have been explored, but it just feels like there is. And so I have a very, ironically, a pain and pleasure <laughs> res response to this film where I am frustrated to a certain extent when it's, it feels like there's all these juicy ideas being dangled and it's just sort of zooming past it and the right. effort of like being like ah oh, no she finds the box and they wrestle around yeah. and whatever and then she does the box um i'm torn i you know if people listen to the show i have a grading curve so i tend to like dock things a little bit but i think i don't know this was a very pleasant experience and i had a really good time watching it i can see myself returning to it i'm morbidly fascinated by the sequels at this point because I, I mean i've seen all the other big horror franchise sequels so why not dive deeper into the hellraiser franchise and see if maybe some of my frustrations are uh acquitted maybe they do latch on to some ideas i've had and explore them further i i find myself like a really interested to see the remake and see if it's any good b like this is now really jumped up on the list of like, I wish this was a world that I could play in a little bit. Cause I feel like I have so many ideas that I'd love to run with in like the Hellraiser universe. It seems like a really fun universe to play in. So I was, I was circling around giving it a six out of 10, but I think I'm going to say seven just because 
it's it's pretty damn good it's honestly a lot better than i would have guessed it's a movie that gets it's you raised a good point where it's not like friday the 13th really and so i used to be like it's not fair that hellraiser is left out of the conversation but i didn't know for sure because i'd never seen it and i come away from this being like it's not fair that it doesn't get brought up as much as these other franchises but you're right in the sense that they're not really the same animal either. So it's maybe not, maybe it's not so much that it's not fair. It's just not relevant. Right, uh, right. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's a whole separate thing. That's more focused on psychological and, and like nastiness and gore and like sexual stuff. And, uh, whereas like, I, I don't know, it's, it's a really interesting thing. And I'm glad, I'm so glad you reached out and said you wanted to cover it. Cause like, uh, this is a, a classic case of, being like just having a movie that i've meant to do for years and and then just like never gotten around to it and now it's in my head and i i get to kind of like have that knocking around now like in a fun way it's not it's not haunting me by any yeah. stretch but uh you know speaking of like comparing it to things is there any recommendations that you had um no not really i'm trying to think uh like i said it, it is it is a unique movie which is one of the things that I think gives a little bit of a you know bonus points or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I would almost come like this might seem a weird comparison, but like maybe the crow because I think like the crow is up. It has that like a similar sort of gothic romantic sensibility, and it's a very different movie. But but there's yeah. an aesthetic uh, similarity, certainly, yeah. You know, and it, it's very operatic in this. The same way that Hellraiser is. I also think just recommending The Crow in general is and, fine. Right. It is awesome. a great movie. <laughs> I love that movie. Uh, anything else? Um, uh, just randomly because I watched it, it and it just came out. I watched uh, uh, Totally Killer oh, did on you? Amazon. And it's, it's, it's not great, but I was like, I I had fun with it. Um, Boy, it sure so, lo- it sure looks up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Like if you're into horror movies and and you're into like '80s kind of stuff, like it, it's a fun ride. I'm gonna check it out just because um, I love that kind of shit. I love the Ready or Nots. The uh, uh, what's the one where she can't die? She just keeps getting killed over and over. Happy Kill Day. What is that called? Oh, I don't What's know. What's the fucking movie called? What's that movie? <laughs> <laughs> it's like she she gets killed uh, by a serial killer, but then she it's a Groundhog's Day, but it's a it's a slasher. Oh, I haven't seen that. I don't know. Uh, um, they made, they made oh that, oh, that ha- Happy Death Day. Okay. Uh, right. And then I never saw the sequel, even though I love the first one. She's such a good. She's like an iconic uh, okay. main character. She's so funny. Uh-huh. Uh, I need to watch. I need to watch Happy Death Day too. <laughs> oh, and and the the um what is it is it. Fear Street, I think R.L. Stein. Oh damn! I the ones they did on Netflix like two years ago, I think. People, uh, everyone those that's... were surprisingly pretty solid. I really need to so... watch those. Everyone that's mentioned them says they're awesome, and I just haven't gotten around to them. <laughs> yeah, like like I I enjoyed those. Again, not a horror movie fan. I'm sure people that are fans of the genre would probably like those a lot better than I did. But I thought those were all solid. Yeah. Uh, people have spoken very, very favorably about him. I will say we mentioned it a thousand times on this episode, but I do think there's some, if you like Hellraiser, but you've never seen Candyman, definitely check out Candyman, especially if you really like Hellraiser. I can't imagine you 
wouldn't get a kick out of Candyman. I think Candyman's a very solid movie. It's a little messy at times. One of my favorite podcasts just reviewed it, and they were reminding me that some of Tony Todd, Tony Todd's so iconic in that role, but his actual dialogue is like borderline nonsense. It's like, soon the covenant will be revealed and we will be together again. And it's like, what, what the fuck are you saying? Yeah. But just uh, don't, don't watch the new one though. <laughs> or, or I don't know if you do just know that it's a, it is a really awful movie. <laughs> um, I'm noticing that Clive Barker is listed as an original writer for the movie Midnight Meat Train, uh, which is not a porno. Uh, <laughs> it is not the greatest movie I've ever seen, but I think if you like Hellraiser, you probably would get a kick out of Midnight Meat Train. It's an interesting movie where there's just like this really grotesque thing that's happening and Bradley Cooper's like trying to get to the bottom of it. And it's got like a lot of fun little twists and turns and it's just, yeah, just aesthetically, it's pretty gnarly in like a fun way. Uh, I had somebody show it to me a long time ago being like, you guys see this shit. And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. Uh, I think I was, uh, I haven't really been watching a lot of recent stuff. I've been terrible about like keeping up with what's coming out. I, I definitely had a mental note to check out the, what, what's the what, totally killer. Yeah. I just, I love, I love horror comedy so much. It, it's just my, it's just my jam. Um, but I will say while I'm thinking about it, I mentioned that I've been pushing episodes back so that I can put some of the more October appropriate stuff out. But that does give me a chance to tell you guys that, Coming down the line, eventually, I have a Tequila Sunrise episode coming out. So watch out for that one. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> I have uh, just this week, I recorded an episode on Bicycle Thieves, the Italian neorealism post World War II 1948 movie that's much beloved. Uh, and on that same day, I recorded an episode on. <laughs> The shitty Harrison Ford, Josh Hartnett movie, Hollywood Homicide. Uh, so that's coming out. Um, beloved guest, uh, Christina Connolly, finally came back on the show recently. And we did a reverse episode, which I tend to put her through way too much. Uh, but I just really got a bug up my ass to revisit The Handmaiden because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. She said she'd never seen it. I was like, Christina, will you do an episode with me where I can just gush? about the handmaiden and we did it uh that's coming uh, i'm trying to think if there's any big ones that i'm forgetting i think that's all i've got recorded but i'm just giving you guys a heads up because i get very spoilery on this show so uh here's a chance to if there's any of those movies that sound interesting to you you want to watch them before you listen to the episodes there's your hint don't watch tequila sunrise it's terrible uh, <laughs> <laughs> i'll honestly probably don't watch hollywood homicide either that movie's just okay uh but do watch the handmaiden and what was the other one i said <laughs> that i had oh do watch bicycle thieves it's great uh it's also only like 80 minutes long so it's it's pretty goes down pretty smooth uh, <laughs> uh but yeah um is there anything you'd like to plug andrew uh no i i think i did enough plugging with plugging this show on on the show so i i feel pretty sufficient you know i'm gonna say this out loud too just to hold myself my feet to the fire i have a short film that i shot quite a while ago 
um, that I'm almost done. I promised, I mentioned her on already, Christina, she's in it. I promised her I'd get it done soon. So, you know, keep an eye on my YouTube channel. Maybe Apple a day will be coming soon to a YouTube channel near you. Uh, <laughs> and it's a little bit spooky. It's more goofy than spooky. I almost think of it more like a sketch, but, uh, yeah. So thank you guys. <laughs> uh, thank you, Andrew, for covering this movie with me. Like, I'm so glad I finally got this one down. Yeah. I kind of want to run out and I kind of do want to go watch Hellraiser 2 now just because I feel like it's fascinating. And these movies are so, they get my brain working, but in a fun way. I don't feel drained by them at all. Right. You know, these are the kind of movies that are fun to throw on and I don't feel sapped where I told John when we did the Bicycle Thieves episode, I was like, John, why did you do this to me? This <laughs> movie's so sad. Uh, like, uh, I felt drained. I had to go watch an episode of Taskmaster just to like, I was, I was like depressed. I was like proper depressed after it. Whereas like, I finished something like this and I just, am like, that was crazy. Uh, <laughs> like in a fun way. I don't know. I, I like a little bit of both in my life. So I appreciate you indulging and in uh, I'm, I'm glad you were yeah. so game to come on. <laughs> I'm glad to revisit it because it's, it's been a while and it was fun to, to rewatch it and, you know, kind of see it again. It's all the things that are great about this movie sort of, and, and all the sort of rough edges yeah with it too so yeah. that's part of the charm yeah. in some ways though uh i said that about true romance all the time is like the movie wouldn't be the movie if it didn't have some of the weirdness about it like at this point but I, but i do like what you were saying earlier about you know it would be wonderful to see like a uh some version of this made by you know a, a somebody who's got a better handle on the writing and yeah and, and character development and plotting and some of that stuff and who has something maybe more uh interesting or deeper that they want to say yeah with the material because you know Clive Barker does a great job of sort of throwing out a few interesting ideas yeah and then <laughs> not really taking them uh uh very far yeah i want to see because like i remember when they were coming out with this remake right there was a lot of business about the person they cast as pinhead being like more androgynous you know but then people were like well actually pinhead's very androgynous in the book and as someone that loves the fluidity of gender and sexuality and stuff it's like of all the horror things that i've watched recently this is like that's my jam is like exploring those ideas and this is the playground i think that you want to be on in terms of like playing with those kinds of things and so and you know, I, I think you just get a couple characters in there that have characteristics that actually affect that landscape and tie into it and i think you've got yourself a, uh, a real barn burner uh so and let, i i don't know it's like i i'm I love, this is awesome. This is kind of awesome stuff though. When you watch a movie and it gets ideas like percolating for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's not nothing. Yeah. That's yeah that's something that a lot of movies can't do. So nope. with, even with all its flaws, like props to this movie for being able to do it. It makes sense to me why there were so many sequels. Cause it feels like there's very fertile ground to, to be, yeah. be plowed into here. I, have a feeling most of the sequels still don't make the most of it, but I don't well, know. I guess like <laughs> after the fourth one, 
<laughs> they kept like none of the sequels are actually written as Hellraiser movies, mm. and it's just like Classic. somebody took like uh, like uh, grabbed a script or like uh we could put Pinhead in this and make this a Hellraiser movie, and yeah, like, that's just a shame when you do have a, a like like a, a a character in a franchise that is that you can just see the endless possibilities mm-hmm. and you know the the producers or whoever you know doesn't have that vision and all they see is like let's let's make money with this character yeah. and just have no respect i think people for would be the character or the world or 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 whatever i think people would be really surprised by how often that happens like one of my go-tos is like the die hard franchise is just rife with somebody wrote a generic action script and they were like what <laughs> if we put john mcclane in this and they were like start the money printing machine let's do it like, that even happened somewhat recently like i'd say the most egregious one is the cloverfield franchise they they went through a phase where they were just grabbing movies and slapping cloverfield on them and it makes me sad because it, it's it's a it's a give and take right where i don't know if i would have seen 10 cloverfield lane if it hadn't gotten picked up and heavily marketed as a cloverfield movie right that being said, the only shitty thing about that movie is the the bending over backwards at the very end to try to tie it in to the Cloverfield <laughs> world. Because everything about that movie is immaculate. It was just a really good, tense, three-character piece. And they were like, what if we threw aliens in at the end? And they didn't ruin the movie, right. but they tries to. Same right. thing with the but other... I, I will say, like, that movie can stand alone. Like... Yeah. On, on its own so that's nice though um and then the whatever the space one that was not intended to be a cloverfield movie either they just grabbed it and slapped cloverfield on it doesn't seem like <laughs> it was intended to be a good movie either <laughs> no that, that's another thing altogether <laughs> but yeah it just it happens it's it's it is funny to think like oh there's some people being killed but what if it was pinhead yeah, <laughs> there's an idea it's like i don't know uh it's, it goes back to our recycled back and over and over talk where it's like what if you just let what if you just made the script and had a whole new monster that could do a whole other franchise instead of like trying to jam a a, a square into a round hole uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but i don't know i digress uh it's a that's a fun thing to find out at the end though but yes uh thank you guys so much <laughs> for joining us uh thank you for putting up with my attempt at putting together uh october month here on the show uh I think I also mentioned it, but uh, I'm going to attempt to cover over the garden wall uh, next, too, so look out for that one. Uh, And if you made it here, I love you. You're the best. And as I unfortunately always say at the end of every episode, (laughs) I'll catch you guys on the flip-flop later. Bye. Hey guys, uh, thank you so much for joining me for Spooky Month. Uh, I don't know, I don't know why I keep calling it Spooky Month, but I have to imagine you're probably like, what the fuck songs is Jake playing during this episode? I was looking for songs that people used Hellraiser as like an influence, 
And so I found a couple and they greatly amused me. Uh, but I'd be remiss if I didn't shout them out because I don't think they're incredibly popular songs, but uh, the metal song that starts the episode is by a band called Entombed. E-N-T-O-M-B-E-D. Entombed. Uh, and the song's just called Hellraiser, and it's a bunch of thrashing metal with Hellraiser quotes layered into it. It's actually pretty fun. Uh, even just listening to it to see if I wanted to play it, I was enjoying it. And then <laughs> I was very amused by this band called Necronom Idol. <laughs> Necronom Idol? I don't know. It's Necronomic Con, but instead of the Con, it says Idol. <laughs> uh, they are obviously are a Japanese band. It seems to me like they made a song called Lament Comfort. Uh, fuck me. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping it. Uh, they made a song called Lament Configuration, which I don't think it's dropped in the first Hellraiser movie. Did they say that? As soon as I saw the name of the song, I was like, oh yeah, that's like what the puzzle box is called or something. But it just sounded like an anime outro and it really amused me and... I think they're singing about Hellraiser, so I just was like, fuck it, we're putting it at the end. But if you guys are jamming out and you're like, I, I don't want you to be driven crazy, uh, like the puzzle box <laughs> would drive you crazy. Uh, if for some reason you do find yourself jamming to these songs and you want to know what they are, that's what they are. Uh, Entombed. <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> the band Entombed with Hellraiser. And the band Necronom Idol. <laughs> uh, and their song Lament Configuration. That's it. I'm done. Bye. <laughs>